Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. The Mail tells us uh, weekend washout spells ending summer. I don't know that it'll be a complete washout. I don't think we'll get a washout, but we'll certainly get showers. They're saying pack away the barbecues and the swimsuits because the summer sunshine appears to be well and truly over. You never know. You know what they say about September. It can surprise us all, a bit like May. Uh, Free at last is the headline making this morning's mirror. They have all those kind of headlines in the red tops today. Never say Neffet again is a clever one, isn't it? The nation's joy is the clubs, the pubs and the gigs are all to return. Michal Martin went on the telly last night to tell us of the new phase of the pandemic after 18 months of everybody's sacrifices and loss. Begin to hope again, says the Echo this morning. Uh, actually, they're turning their attention now to a booster jab rollout in the autumn. And they're driving on with that. And he was giving an awful lot of credit to all of those at the front line who drove on. Uh, with the uh, vaccination program over the recent months. More on that in a few minutes' time. Um, also, you've got all of these different boxes and graphics making the papers today with the key dates. And, of course, the key dates are today, uh, the 6th of September, the 20th of September, and the 22nd of October. And the 22nd of October will see that the requirement for all things like physical distancing will be gone. Limits on numbers that can meet in private homes and gardens, all gone. Limits on the number of indoor and outdoor events, activities, Gone. No more need to prove vaccination. No more need to prove testing. No more need to to prove recovery. Uh, Nightclubs will be open. Uh, Funerals and weddings can have as many as you want. The only thing that won't change really on October 22nd is the requirement for a proof of vaccination or a cert or testing for travel overseas. Right. So that and also probably mask restrictions uh, for some time after the 22nd. But other than that, like today we see public transport back to full capacity. And later, you know, the 6th of of September, this of course is the the 1st of September, but things like indoor venues will be able to have 50% of their seats. Uh, Again, just bear in mind that a lot of the 6th of September changes are for the vaccinated or the cover recovered from vaccination. I'll leave it at that for now because I'm undoubtedly going to be uh, talking about it later on. If anybody wants any for more clarification, I'm happy to come back to that. Um, uh, Pat Dawson makes the papers today because the examiner is saying that uh, he says that people have been, this is to do with the 80,000 who are waiting for passports. And he's saying that people have been missing family funerals because of the delays in passport processing. They've had to leave children at home with relatives as they belatedly found that their passport had expired before a trip. And he says, if you think it's all about just leisure trips overseas, it's not. And it's an absolute scandal. And he's saying, get the offices reopened and get people back into work. Lovely story making the echo because the Barracka, the Barrack Street Band, are back practicing after 18 months. They're the kind of stories you love. And arts and drama makes many of the papers with a lot of relief from people in those sectors and also in, uh, you know, people who are engaging in physical exercise or teaching classes and things. But I love this little one in the sun, the actor Anthony Hopkins. He's, you know, the people who can't do teach. I'm not saying that is the case for all of them, but that's what I was saying. If you can't do teach. Um, he says that um, anybody that's interesting in acting should stay the hell away from acting schools. He says they are failed thespians. He says they're set up by failed actors that set themselves up as gurus. He says way back when he was a young fella, he threatened to hit one of them. He says, if you ever speak to me like that again, if you ever speak to me, if you ever speak to me like that again, I'll punch you in the face, he says. Obviously, I don't do that anymore. He didn't do too bad, actually, in fairness to him, if he walked out of acting school and got on with his career. Actually, you know, we talk about actors and actresses. Where was that story I saw this morning? Apparently, they say the women love men who mumble um, or mutter 
which I think is quite peculiar. They find it sexy. They actually pick out the likes of Marlon Brando and his performance in, um, say, for instance, The Godfather. Apparently, Frank Sinatra used to call him mumbles. But they say that women find a mumbling or a muttering man sexy. Interesting to get some examples of mumbling, muttering men. I would have thought women would have preferred men to accentuate and to pronounce their words properly and to project. But apparently they don't they much prefer a man who just mumbles. See what I mean? Cliffs and Moore apparently is the top Irish selfie spot. And around the world, it's Disneyland, the Eiffel Tower, Disney World in Florida, Burj Khalifa in Dubai, and also the Taj Mahal in India. But the Cliffs and Moore is the top one here by all accounts. And our population has hit 5 million peoples. First time since the Great Famine, the highest national return um, since the Great Famine, apparently, um, in, well, the first time we've hit 5 million since the Great Famine and more people coming back to Ireland now in the last 12 months than back in, say, the last time we had a number like it was in 2007. I see uh, Shane Ross making the papers to say today saying if you want to get collisions on our roads or deaths in it, or in injuries on our roads down, then you need to ban young drivers from nighttime driving. <laughs> they should be banned from driving at night, he says, and it will lead to a d- reduction in uh, road deaths. Imagine, statistically, he could well be right but I'd say that would go down like a lead balloon. People might be bursting balloons or blowing them up if they win the national lottery because the jackpot's 13 million. It's the highest it's been since 2016. Tonight, estimated 13 million, making it the biggest, largest rollover prize in five years. Um, go get your lotto tickets if you like 13 million euro. If you've got a chance as anybody else. And there's an interesting one making the Daily Mail today where Vogue Williams and her husband, Math- uh, Spencer Matthews, have um, responded to criticism from trolls who criticised them for throwing a princess-themed party for their son, Theodore. Uh, the lad had a Frozen-themed party last weekend in celebration of his third birthday and Princess Elsa featured uh, on the cake Um, and trolls were asking uh, why she and Spencer had chosen uh, to give their son a princess themed party and and some were saying why is your son having a princess party I thought he was a boy Uh, she says yeah we believe in equal rights for men and women if Theodore likes princesses or wants to be a princess he can be a princess he's got four Elsa Barbie dolls the little fella likes Elsa and he likes Frozen the movie what kid at that age didn't like? They don't see any difference in gender in any way, shape or form. They just likes princesses and he likes the movie. But then again, I suppose Vogue needs to bear in mind that if she's going to be very uh, public and, uh, you know, have an Instagram page and blogs and stuff like that, you're going to come across trolls like that. But she seems to be well able for them. And, and I get very confused, I have to tell you. Last week I was saying that, uh, was it three glasses of red wine a week is that best thing you can put into you for your health yeah, for your heart, uh, for your cholesterol, for your metabolism, for all sorts of great things, for your organs, your liver. And then somebody else comes out with more research this morning saying uh, a single glass of wine or a single pint of beer appears to raise the risk of an irregular heartbeat and a fast heartbeat. And who'd want one of that? Um, they're saying there's also issues with regards to, uh, you know, uh, atrial fibrillation. I mean, that even sounds scary. <laughs> a glass of wine can give you, can give you um, arterial fibrillation. But don't worry about it. Just like a bus, there'll be another survey come out next week, which is 
back in favour for glasses of red wine. The Neil Prenderville Show. Sure, I know if I were to say this morning that I was quite impressed with Micheál Martin last night that you guys would give me grief over it. But I sat there and watched it and um, I know he probably didn't write it himself because a lot of these things are script written. But I have to say, I, I got, kind of said, yeah, you know, we did get through all of this. And you, know, you, you are right. It was a tough 18 months and we came through and there's a lot of people that should be thanked for it. And, you know, he spoke also, I think, about issues that he'll never forget. And many of us will never forget either about, you know, funerals and saying goodbye to loved ones. And he spoke about there will be a time when we'll mark that. So for me, I thought he acquitted himself very well. Now, he spoke for maybe 10, 12 minutes, that kind of thing, so I'm not in a position to play at all. But it's a very important day today, and uh, that announcement yesterday was a very important day. In fact, somebody texted me last night saying, the irony of this is not lost on me. Do you realise that it was the vaccinated that have now given the unvaccinated their freedom? Your thoughts on that are welcome, incidentally. Text 0868104106. But here is a shortened version, an edited version of some of the more salient, I guess, if, I don't know, I don't think you could call it a powerful speech, but uh, maybe some of the more powerful aspects of what he was saying last night. We are now entering a whole new phase of the pandemic. I've never believed that there would be a day when we were just able to announce that the pandemic was over. This would be entirely the wrong message to send and it would undermine our ability to respond properly to new developments. We are very unlikely to ever be able to say to be rid of this virus completely. Indeed, we expect to see an increase in case numbers over the coming weeks. But the combined strategy of careful reopening and energetic vaccination has brought us to a point where we can begin to do things differently. Sectors that remain closed or are still subject to massive restrictions can begin to hope again. The government has consulted closely with our public health officials and has decided that in our management of COVID-19, the time is now right to begin the move from regulation and widespread restrictions on people's personal freedom to an approach primarily defined by public health advice, personal behaviour, judgement and responsibility. Obviously, we must remain vigilant and nimble. And if a new dangerous variant of concern emerges, or if our hospitals come under unsustainable pressure again, we will move quickly to respond to the situation. But what is very clear is the efficacy of our vaccines in protecting against severe illness, ICU admission and death. Given this, a range of remaining restrictions will be gradually and carefully eased during September, with a view to achieving a significant change in approach towards the end of October. Specifically from the 6th of September, we will see an easing of restrictions on organised indoor and outdoor events and mass gatherings. From that date, theatre, music and live events can take place for vaccinated people at 60% capacity indoors and 75% capacity outdoors. Religious services will be allowed to proceed at up to 50% capacity. Then, from the 20th of September, we will ease restrictions on indoor and outdoor group activities. I'm under no illusions about how personally difficult it has been for so many people, young and old, to have had to curtail their artistic, cultural and sporting lives for so long. Return to work for those still working from home 
may also commence on a phased and staggered basis from the 20th of September. And on the 22nd of October, we then hope to be in a position to remove the following measures. The legal requirement to prove immunity in order to access indoor hospitality or other events. All remaining restrictions on indoor and outdoor events and activities. All remaining restrictions on religious or civil ceremonies. The legal requirements for mask wearing outdoors and in indoor private settings. Even with these very welcome changes, it is important to stress that the pandemic is not over. With this Delta variant in particular, great uncertainties remain and we need to continue to be careful. We will need to stick to the basics of hand hygiene, cough etiquette and keeping our distance. Even after the 22nd of October, there will still be a statutory requirement to wear masks in healthcare settings, indoor retail and on public transport. And each of us will continue to need to use our judgment and wear masks in other environments where we see a risk. We need to be stringent in making sure that if we have any symptoms, we self-isolate and get tested. As employers, colleagues, friends and families, we have to drive home the point and embrace this cultural change that if you have a cough or feel unwell, you do not go to work and you do not mix with others. We also face a very difficult winter in our healthcare settings. The advice from public health officials is that other respiratory viruses, including colds and flus, may be more impactful this winter because we're more susceptible to them after the reduced exposure of last year. We understand this and we will be ready for it. Work is already underway on a new winter plan for the health service, including a comprehensive flu vaccination program, and details of that will be published in the coming weeks. As we move into this new phase, it will be a time of trepidation for some as they re-engage with activities and resume old habits after a long period of isolation. We will be bringing forward a health and well-being program to help people reconnect. Others will be nervous as they move to reopen long-closed venues and projects. It will be a time of anticipation and relief for others as they finally get back to doing what they do best, particularly in our arts and entertainment sectors. As patrons and event goers, we'll be delighted to enjoy them again. For many others, it will be a time of reflection and sadness. For while we've come to this point in the pandemic with fewer de deaths than many other countries, we have still paid a terrible price. The pain of each death was compounded by the absence of the ancient traditions and rituals that we do so well as a people. We did our best and we found ways to safely comfort our bereaved. The image of communities lining the roots of funerals is one that will stay with me forever. I know the grief is deep and it will take a long time for us to come to terms with what has happened. As a country, we will find the right way to memorialize those who we have lost to this terrible virus. And we look forward to engaging with all of you, the Irish public, in this endeavor. Michael and Freedom. Uh, be good to finish on another song of Freedom, which I will allow up to you guys. Text 0868104106. Somebody's mentioning the likes of uh, maybe Alternate and Free. 
Another one that comes to mind if you're a Springsteen fan would be something like Glory Days or something like that. But uh, do text and we'll finish up on another freedom type song without wanting to sound completely over the top as if this is 100% gone. You heard what he was talking about there, about personal behavior. You heard what he was talking about uh, very interestingly, and a point that we, we picked up at here was don't go to work if you have a cough. Even after the 22nd of October, don't go to work if you have a cough. That's very loose, isn't it? It's very kind of vague. I wonder you know, how employers would feel about that. I mean, there could be issues then with employees who are just saying, oh, I'm not going to go to work, I have a cough. Uh, and also, does this now fix creches and preschools and primary schools and stuff with regards to kids with sniffles and runny noses and coughs and, you know, things like that where they were told, you know, keep your child out of creche or keep your child out of preschool. I would have thought that after October 22nd, all that would be gone and that a child would be treated the very same from October 22nd as, say, 2019, for instance. But I'm not not 100% sure that that is the case. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text to 0868104106 because from the 22nd, no physical distancing. There'll be no limits in private homes or gardens and there'll be no limits on the number of indoor and outdoor events that can happen and you'll not need to prove any kind of thing like a QR code or a cert or anything like that. Nightclubs will be open and weddings and funerals will be going full pelt. But just those one or two issues. Uh, Oh, and also, bear in mind, masks in public buildings, indoors, shopping malls and moving around in restaurants and pubs, apart from sitting down in them. Masks will also continue. Text 0868104106. Thank you. We're getting a number of texts in saying that there are traffic delays in Drimmer League today. And the reason behind it is they're filming um, Graham Norton's television adaptation of his book, um, so the television of his uh, adaptation of his novel Holding has commenced filming in West Cork today. It's an ITV Virgin Media production uh, and they have taken over the streets of Drimmer League for a three-day shoot. That must look good. Uh, that must be something fabulous to behold. Anyway, text 0868104106. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Well done to the great Dennis O'Callaghan, 87-year-old Dennis, who was walking 40 kilometers for Marymount. Uh, his GoFundMe now stands at €3,135. He had a goal of uh, 500 I think, um, and really and truly trashed that. So it stands at three. 3,135. He walked 40 kilometers uh, last week, in fairness to him, and he got nice weather doing it, although he said he'd have gone out in the rain. And at the age of 87, he's a wonderful guy. I spoke to him a couple of times on the air. So his GoFundMe continues for another little while yet. It's the 40km dash by Dennis in aid of Marymount Hospice. It stands at 3,135. Take a bow, my friend, and well done. Okay, um, talking about, uh, you know, different uh, relaxation dates. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. I see people already texting on it. One person is accusing me of engaging in propaganda. That's interesting. And uh, another, another one then just off the top of my head is saying, well, we were so critical of them, the Irish government and NEFED and the Department of Health and Stephen Donnelly and everything, and bigging up uh, New Zealand at the time and the likes of Jacinta Ardern. Uh, what do you think of me now, I suppose, is what you're saying. Anyway, keep those coming and we will come back to them throughout the course of the morning. But with the return to school, um, this is this is sad, really. Uh, and, that you know, Many schools going back uh, on Monday and, you know, I think we got the Leaving Cert results fairly soon, don't we? And then secondary schools back. Would you mind bringing up this sensitive issue on your show, please? It's an issue. Uh, I have an issue with the secondary school my daughter is attending and I'm looking for advice. She's very introverted 
an introverted 14-year-old who doesn't mix well. And since she started school in September 2020, she's been miserable and she's been withdrawn. Reason being, she's been separated from her friends by the school and put into a class where she knows no one. She hasn't made any friends and no one talks to her in the class as they're all from the very same primary school. So they went through primary and intersecondary together. I've been on to the class, I've been on to the principal since day one and she refuses to move the child to another class. She uses the excuse of COVID a lot. Can't see why. Now she plays sports with one class, sits on the bus with another girl from another class and has close relatives in yet a different class. She's crying every morning, refusing to go. I've spoken once again to the principal and she won't move her, but says she actually needs counselling. Have any of your listeners been in this position? Any advice they could offer would be greatly appreciated. Um, I think you say uh, that um, she uh, is separated from her friends by the school and put in a class that where she kn- knows nobody. Uh, but you also describe as being introverted and doesn't mix well. Um, that, that's a key point here. I mean, when I moved from primary school to secondary school initially, I knew absolutely nobody in the class. I knew absolutely nobody in the school. I was in a class of complete strangers. As, as what? What would you be? A 12-year-old maybe, I suppose? Um, I can't say because I'm not an introverted person. It didn't concern me. I mean, maybe it was kind of like, wow, what's, what's going on? Who are all these people? But I can tell you within a couple of days, really, you know the way you build up you know, you one or two people in the class become friends almost immediately. It's almost like a magnetic attraction and you just click. Clearly that hasn't happened with your daughter, unfortunately. Uh, Tanya standing by, Laura standing by, Andrea first. Andrea, good morning. Good morning. How are you? What do you make of this? Um, I I would have had uh, a girl like that who was very introverted. Um, now, I did email our school before we started and they did encourage this, that if there was one or two from primary school that you could pick out that they could be put in the class with, that they would do that. And they did do that. In fact, I think there were six girls went in and six boys and they were put in four different classes, split them three, 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 three. And I think that made a fierce difference to her. Um, and I, I really think that... You know, the school doesn't realise maybe how hard it is for kids. If she had been in a class on her own, I really do not know what she would have done. I I, I, I would have been, I'd say, in exactly the same position as that parent. It's not that they have to be... It's just even having them in the class and and having someone to go into, get off the bus with the first day and walk to those classes with. I mean, they're walking past practically adults, 18-year-olds in sixth year, and it is a huge, huge change Mm. for them. We come from a very rural primary school, you know, and, you know, even though it's a rural secondary school, there's 650 pupils in it, you know, and and it can be scary. Like she does? She must be going to school on the bus with her friends. They don't go into the same classroom. No, no. Well, because of COVID, they're not now. Uh, If she would be, there's still girls from the area, I suppose, um, but... Uh, none of her friends are actually on the bus. Their parents are driving them. So, uh, no, okay. she wouldn't have been either. So, you know, but it's... it's but how much of a headache would it be for a principal to be um, planning classes based on who needs who? Who knows who? Yeah, I can understand. I can understand that. And I think that's but why, why they do, in our school anyway, that they encourage them to maybe submit a name of one or two that they're happy enough to be in a class with. Because the teachers are in school... A, a long time before the pupils actually 
uh, get back there, if you know what I mean. Um, so they, they're doing all this planning. And, I mean, it saves them a lot of hardship, I think, myself down the line, because you don't have parents coming in then asking, look, could my child be moved in with this one? She's very lonely. She doesn't know any of these girls. And if you have a school full of maybe girls coming from one area that's more of a town area and they're a lot more outgoing and stuff like that and a girl from the country uh, comes in it's very hard to mix very hard to break into that group but is the, is the mammy looking at the fact that she has an introverted 14 year old who doesn't mix well I mean can, can she the child be helped with that like well, that, that's what I'm saying even about that. You see, the parents, the teachers don't have time to do that in school. And I know the first few days, there is a lot of this, uh, in our school anyway, they have the first day is only about games and trying to get to know each other. But if you're very shy, that's still not going to help you. It's going to take you a few weeks to settle in. But if you're in a class with nobody uh, that you know and everyone else that seems to have gone to primary school together, they're not inclined to bring you into a group really un- unless that's done in the classroom. And teachers really don't have time to be doing that. And what are you saying then about things like uh, Snapchat and online stuff being a nightmare? What do yeah, you mean by that? Yeah, I, I found that was a difficult, uh, difficulty for my daughter. Uh, when they got in there, what they do is they set up their group, say, one green. So our, our classes are in colours. So, and everyone was in it so they could try and get to know each other that way. But then a couple of girls in the class decided oh, we'd set up a new group called the Best of One Green and left out the girls that were quieter and didn't that weren't really in their, oh, their group right. so there's a lot of exclusion goes on outside of school on top of that and you really have to keep on top of that if they're talking and that upsets the girls then in first class secondary yeah. that aren't on Best of Green absolutely because they know about it because maybe one of their friends is on it and no stuff is, you know, the arrange to do stuff even after school. Not so much now, obviously, because you can't. And is that regarded um, then as social exclusion and a form of absolutely. bullying then? Yeah? Absolutely. Now, you, you can approach a school, but it's difficult if it's going on out of school. You know, and that goes on into the summer and stuff like that. Are a bunch of people in the class not allowed to have their own little group? Their own close friends on group? They are, but if you're, if, if the re- reason that the group was set up in the start was between the whole class to try and, and then setting up another group called the best of one green and leaving out some, that that is a different is a different. Calling it the mind. best of, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and excluding sir, excluding people out of it. Then do you know what I mean? Oh, we're going to arrange to do this. You know. And, and was your daughter out of the best of one green? Oh, she was, and 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 actually by a girl that she was in primary school with. How'd she feel yeah, about as that? Well. Oh, very upset about it at the start. And look at I just I spoke to her about it, and I said if if those people don't want to be friends with you, then and they're excluding you, then maybe they're not the type of people that you should be friends with. Good, yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 you try instead of making them feel like they're doing anything wrong, try and and. Let she could set your daughter could set up the very very best of one green <laughs> and have their group and wreck their heads. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and look at uh, go higher. I, uh, the, the best piece of advice I, I have to say I got, and I asked a mother who was, had a daughter year ahead, is can you give me any advice before she starts secondary school? And she said, the one piece of advice I'll give you is the friends group. They're going to start in a massive big group, then they'll break off and they'll get back to friends again. Then they'll meet up with other girls and other girls will come in on top of them, you know. And she said, it'll take them about third year before they settle into their final group. And she was That's three years, on, woman. That's three years. I am not joking you because girls, particularly really? lads, I think, settle in. Honestly, 
I, I definitely, maybe the summer of, se- of second year, but definitely once they went back in by third year, they settled into that group, they've gone to TY together, and they're in fifth year now together. And, mm. and, and it took that long yeah. for that little because group to come together. You know this norming, forming, storming, performing, you know that? No. <laughs> no. no. Sociology, it's a sociology term. We use it in work as well a lot to show you how groups Norming, forming. Yeah, so, sorry, forming. Yeah. I'm trying to think what order is it in. Norming, forming, storming. So they'll, they'll have their rows, they'll settle down, they'll make the groups, and then they'll perform. Once they get together, right. then off they'll go and they'll take off. But it takes that time. And it's the same in work or anywhere else. Right. You, you know, groups will have to get together, and it will take them that while. But, you know, I do think that definitely, even if there's one girl from that 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 girl knows in her class that can make it walk into the class together because walking through a corridor of six years is a big deal and a lot of those six years are 18, 19 now I, like a first year walking through a corridor of six yes. years I, was, so I used, used to be in awe of them oh my god I used oh, to hero no. worship yeah. them I thought that must yeah, be well, the coolest you, thing maybe girls are more terrified I remember <laughs> years ago I remember I years ago like men we'd be, in first, we'd be in first and second year and would you believe yeah. that the fifth years and the, and the sixth years had a common room smoking room? I yeah, mean, how right. hippie, I mean, how, how kind of new world is that? Very. Because yeah. I, I, I just actually asked my daughter the other day that, how many of your friends smoke? She couldn't even think of one. <laughs> yeah, well, it, was, that's, that, it is a fact. I mean, it, yeah. it, it may have been a hippy-dippy world back then, but yeah. they had a common room smoking for fifth and sixth years. I mean, they were... Wow. <laughs> Imagine doing that yeah, now. Tell them fifth no, years and sixth no, that you can have a smoking no. room and go in there between classes for a fag. <laughs> yeah. So I would I would just say to that mother that right. look give, give do give it a bit of time and I know I know three years seems a long time, but that's because they they you know, they kinda of jump from one and she could go back in this year and someone could just make friends with her and she might All not right. know. But it is to- tough. If the school could do anything, I think they should try and give her even just one person. All right, Andrea, there's a lot of calls on this and texts, and I'll come back to them. Cheers. I'll let you go. Take care. Thank you. Actually, on the smoking room, common room for fifth and sixth years, I mean, you really, technically or even in theory, you could have fifth and sixth years borrowing fags off teachers and teachers borrowing a fag off a student kind of thing. Anything was possible. Denise, good morning. Good morning. Anyway, um, we live in a very psychoanalytical world, but you had a similar situation to this lady's 14-year-old daughter, is that right? Yes, yes. Um, I had a son, but he was going into a transition year. Okay. TY. Um, he, he got notification saying that he wasn't after being accepted into the transition year. So um, what I did was I... F- I contacted the school and asked why, the reasons why, and they, they said that it was to do with numbers, that they could only take a certain amount of numbers. Um, and then, sorry, now my train of thought has gone, I'm here right. rolling a baby. Prioritise, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> prioritise. <laughs> um, then what, what I did was um, he, he decided he'd go into 50. Why wasn't he left in, though? I mean, what do you mean he was told he can't go to tris- into transition year? Because of numbers that they, they, they had so many applications to go into transition year that they decided to leave, take only a certain amount of numbers, and he was told he wasn't part of that. And what would happen to those that weren't going into transition year? They move forward into fifth year then straight away. That's bizarre. And yeah, and the age factor then as well. He was very young, and I didn't want him going into an academic year. 
And so, it was like a lottery then, was it? Yes. I think they they go... Um, well, what I wrote on the comments was that his brother would have been in the same school and I think they reflected on his his attitude towards school. Like, he, he mitched a lot of school. He wasn't academic. He just, he wanted out, basically. And he was the complete opposite. Raymond was very academic. He had a very good report. His behaviour was very good. He had a small circle of friends, maybe... Three or four females. He always hung around with girls. Um, so you're and saying that because always, one son was went on the lang from time yes, to time, the other son yes, got penalised and was told you can't yes, do transition because of the sins of the brother. Yes, <laughs> exactly. No, it wasn't verbally. That wasn't verbally. I wasn't written to me, but I knew. So he didn't a, imagine that, it. No. Yes. Yeah. No. No. I honestly, because he missed one day of school. One day of school. And he, they did some kind of detention. Um, and then it was a reflection on that because Raymond would have had a very good Okay, okay. So, okay, so based on the amount of numbers, was he the only yes. person that didn't do transition? There was, I think there was two or three. Okay. Two, right. And you wanted them to do transition, did you? Yes, I wanted them to do transition here because of um, his age was a big factor. Um, and I didn't want him going straight into an a- academic year. And did he go straight into fifth year then? He did. And how did how did how did that go from? Because he now has uh, moved on from all of his mates. Yes. So the first day he went in, and he came back, and I still remember it. And now he's out of school for two years. Um, he came back, and now he'd be like that fourteen-year-old. He'd be a social introvert. He would make friends easy. And the friends that he has, he has them since he started in first year. Right. And he came back and he said he spent the whole day on his own. You know? That he didn't meet any of his friends because obviously transition year is completely different. You know? It's a, it's a fun year. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun year. a lot of year. interesting things that he was denied yeah. for whatever inexplicable reason based on what you're telling me. And was, did he cry a lot? Cried. He cried and cried. And I made my decision there and then that I wasn't going to send him back. I didn't send him back the next day. And the day after that? No, I didn't send him back. I didn't send him back. I contacted, I contacted my doctor. I got the doctor to see him and explain the situation. The doctor wrote a letter to the school saying based on mental health that he felt that the best way forward for Raymond was to be left into transition year. Um, I contacted the local TD. I got him to write a letter about his mental health, how much it was affecting his life. And, and, could, and you know something, it could really have an impact on his thought process, to be quite honest with yeah. you. It yeah, it did. It yeah. did. It yeah. did. He, no, he I mean, sent, a very detrimental yeah. and, uh, and yeah. worrying effect. Yeah, I was beside myself. Okay, so having done, all yeah. of that, having done all of that. Yeah, I done all that. I got um, the board of management contacted me, and the same thing that they didn't have a place for Ray. That the the, the numbers there was ninety two. I think they took in transition year, and basically they weren't going to let him in. And then, what did you do after those responses? Well, I contacted the Department of Education, and I got him. I, I explained the situation to him. And I told him that my, my son wouldn't be going to school for the, the academic year. Right. That he was staying out of school. Right. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that one. Good for you. I I did not get one phone call, no point of contact from the principal of that school to see how my son was, how his mental health was. Is everything okay? Nothing. And what did he do for the year if he wasn't in fifth year? He stayed. He. Well, what I did was he Ray was on the heavy side and he always wanted to join a gym. So what I did for the whole year is I think he lost about four or five stones. <laughs> done. That's, and it was the best thing that I ever done for him. So he hit and the he gym got, for the term, for the for, yeah, for fifth yeah. year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he went and back into fifth year. And, and, was, and nobody came calling friends. or he wasn't reported for non-attendance? no. Or, no. Not, not one person came to my door okay. for the department. So when the other fifth year came around then, as in the transition year, his mates and buddies moved into yeah. fifth year, did he go back then? He went back. And you say he settled back in, not a bother? Yeah, not a bother. And not, no, not the vice principal or the principal came up to him, asked him how he was, nothing on his first day. But you also say that that year out and that situation that was created by, you know, no fault of yeah. yours or your son's, was the making of him. It was the making of him. His confidence grew. He was very, like, you know, he wouldn't have the confidence to speak in a group setting. He, he went back and he got a little part-time job. We got him a little part-time job as well on a Saturday. And he started meeting people. And it was the making of him. I tell you something, he, your, your he's son... Currently, will, he, he's currently going to UCC now in September. That's amazing. Your son will never, ever forget you for that. Do you know that? I know that. He I'm never will. I'm delighted I've done it. So you know? should be. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Great story. Thanks so much, Denise. Cheers. Take Thank care. Thank you. Back after the break on 150 104 106. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Interesting, actually, with the back to school for primaries or people going to primary for the first time or back to school for secondaries and kids going to secondary for the first time. Kilreen Celtic uh, Soccer Club have posted up on their social media platforms uh, a lovely little piece of advice. It says, to all students returning to school, if you see any of the following, another student struggling to make friends, another student being picked on, a student who is new, shy, or not with the in-crowd. A student who is eating lunch alone. Be a leader. Be a warrior. Say hi. Smile at them. Ask if you can sit with them. Include them. You never know what that person is facing, inside or outside of school. Your kindness will make a difference in someone's life. And that just puts it all so really well. And even someone that's quiet or shy or introverted initially... If these things happen and you spot them and you approach them and you include them, they may not say boo to a fly for a long, long time, but slowly but surely you will find that in many cases they will start to come out on themselves, they will start to engage more. Before you know it, they'll be laughing and smiling, saying a few words, and very, very soon after that, you'll see huge improvements in them all by just taking the first small step. So well done to Kilreen Celtic for that. Uh, people need to hear these kind of things. Julie says, I know loads of kids around that age that are struggling in the same way and lockdown hasn't helped because they were entering a stage in life where they were learning to socialise and that was completely taken away from them. I think for the younger secondary school years, uh, maybe lose a few religion classes, replace them with group building classes so they'll get to know each other 
and have a bit of fun. They suffered more than anyone, I think, due to COVID. Potty said that's heartbreaking for that poor mother and absolutely devastating for her 14-year-old daughter. Schools are supposed to help and accommodate as best they can for children, particularly children with specific needs. The school and the head should be held accountable. The days of bullying like that and just giving up on students are long gone. Parents need to take action and the school needs to step up and stop this disgusting behaviour. Connor, this is not passing the buck as a parent, but when all avenues have been travelled, maybe take her to a friendly, approachable counsellor so she can privately speak her mind to the counsellor and get to the root of the issue. Perhaps they can help her acquire the tools to gradually gain some confidence and get her smile back. You do describe her as introverted and not mixing well. Take her out of school and when they get onto you, threaten with th- with uh, Tusla if you don't send her. Um, uh, they, well, take her out of school and when they get onto you threatening with Tulsa if you don't send her, remind them of all of the times you asked them to move her class for her mental health. Make a note of every time you contacted the school and email them. Uh, keep those notes as well. If you have it all in writing, if your child is not happy um, and suffering mentally, uh, that comes way before any education. Go above the school's head Go to a doctor, the Board of Education. That's heartbreaking listening, the poor girl. I definitely take it further and make it as uncomfortable for the principal as she makes it for your daughter. Every child deserves to be with at least one person they know and trust. It's hard enough the road without this happening. Please God, your daughter will be moved and she'll have amazing years ahead of her. Um, And just one quick one then, one final one. Uh, The same issue, I expressed it to the principal many times, the importance of friends and having a social aspect to school as much as the education aspect for mental health reasons. I was ignored uh, and the school used to say things like, ah, sure, he won't make an effort to mix with the class. Never mind the stress and anxiety the child feels in class feeling like a loner. Um, Leanne says, take her out of that school. No child of any age should be like this, distressed, distressed for the sake of the school. Um, take her out, keep her out until you can find somewhere she's happy. I hope she'll be okay. Well, it's not about taking her out of the school. Her mates are in the school, but just in a different class. Um, so putting the girl in another school entirely won't help matters because then she'll seriously be with a lot of strangers. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. I'd like the people of Cork to realise that there are plenty of fantastic and helpful people still living with us in this beautiful, beautiful county. My sister had a bad fall while out walking Monday morning near the quarry in the Ballinlock area. I know it. I think you're talking about the Bowman Quarry area. An off-duty nurse, doctor and vet came to her assistance, as did other people. She did need to go to hospital for treatment and ended up with 11 staples being put in her head. Oh, that was a bad fall. And she didn't get those people's names at the time, Neil, but I would appreciate if you could mention it on air, hoping they might be listening and say that we are greatly appreciative of their help and assistance. And that's from Pat O'Neill. That was a bad fall, Pat. If she needed 11 staples in her head, a bad fall in a rocky area, jagged rocks and things in that area. So well done. An off-duty nurse, a doctor and a vet. I mean, they all came together. Well done to all of them. One would have done, but she got three. So super stuff. Thank you for that. Text 0868104106. Just take some more calls on this. A traumatic time. I suppose it's always a traumatic time when people are either starting primary or indeed secondary school because it's a new part, a new leg on the journey, a new chapter, if you like. Um, anyway, I've got some texts on it, but I want to stay with the calls for now. Laura, good morning. 
Hi Neil, how are you? I'm good. Uh, your situation, uh, primary school was it with your with your son? It was primary school, but it was go- it went on a long time, and the school he was in was very unsupportive. Um, every morning I struggled to get him in. He had very bad anxiety, and then he used to come home in floods of tears. Is he on the, he's on the autistic spectrum, the lad. He is, but at the time it was unknown. Okay. And the school were kind of making comments, oh, he times us on everything. He what? Like, he times us on everything. You know, he'd be like his teacher, oh, you're on this subject too long. Um, you know, he kind of had his own routine. And they were kind of like, oh, it's so cute. And he couldn't keep up with the writing. And they were like, never mind, you'll probably use computers when you're older. And um, all the signs were there. But when the anxiety was happening, I was really struggling and they were like, oh, he's thriving, leave him alone. But I noticed then his school results were going downhill. He was kind of just giving up. And I kept calling meetings with the school. I was like, he's saying he's being bullied. His results are going lower. And they were like, oh, the work is getting harder. He's very popular in school. But then at home, I was saying to him, like, have your friends in school? He's like, no, but I can connect with them on online at home you know he'd play with them online but in school then they wouldn't talk to him and then when I decided to put him on the the assessment of needs I gave the school forms and I said will you write down everything you've been saying to me about him timing you him doing this 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 and they said no they said we see your red flags but he's thriving leave well alone and all they wrote on the form was that he struggles with his writing. I went private then for the assessment and they made him the school made him out as if he's the most popular boy, he was fabulous, all this kind of stuff. So because the mornings were so hard, I decided to go down to another school and I spoke to the principal. I said, I don't know that my parenting, am I going crazy? What's going on? And he said, look, uh, bring him in to meet me and I'll talk to him and just get the vibe off him. And straight away the principal said, you need to move from school, bring him down to me. And my boy was very, I don't want to move, I don't want to move, I'm scared and all that. But yeah. I said, look, you need support. So within the first two weeks of moving school, they said his anxiety is very bad in the classroom, especially when it comes to writing. Do you mind if we give him an SNA to take him out for relaxation? Yeah, brilliant, um, brilliant. Yeah, yeah he... So supportive, is, yeah. The, the writing, they gave him one-on-one with the writing. The amount of support now he got, he was running to school every morning. Like, And did you, was he assessed at some stage then as well? And then He was assessed. Then with the HSC, they paid for him to go private with the Stepping Head Clinic and they got onto the old school and the assessor said she asked the old school 19 questions and she said there was more than 19 red flags that were answered to me, but they were making out that's not autism, but there was a lot of red flags there for her and he ended up getting diagnosed with autism and dyspraxia. I mean, you could have just not bothered, you know, and just yeah. taken the yeah. word of the school and things would have got gradually, gradually worse and he'd have slipped through all of the cracks. But your intervention was life-changing for him. Like, I thought I was going mad when, because he was going to fifth class when he moved to school and I thought I was going mad that I was, like, creating it because I was calling no. meetings in the old school nonstop. 
And Parent uh, always knows best. You know the saying, yeah. Mammy knows best. Yeah. It's actually I, very true. Yeah. One of the meetings I had the principal, the vice principal and the teacher and the vice principal was screaming at me and everything at one time. He was like, we're the professionals, we know best. And I was like, but if you're the professionals, why aren't you listening to me saying I can't get them in in the morning? Well, and, you know, they, they just yeah. clearly, um, you know, haven't got the right supports or understanding or structures in place. But the school, the primary moved to does. And how is he now? Oh, he's thriving, like, in the mornings now. I'm like, you're too early to leave the He's like, I want to get the gates aren't even open. And he's running down. And, like, even the teacher said to me last year, now he said, I noticed that if something changes, if the Lord Mayor comes or does a change in the day, straight away he kind of gives up. He's just... He has his routine, out. yeah. So he, he, right, he has a different board and he has everything written out with the exact time. He has friends, he's like... Oh, drop me to my friend's house. Um, a boy in his class. He's thriving down so, there. They're so you're—he's happy and you're relieved. Yeah, obviously. I love but it. The support of the last school was like I even got Bernardo's. They were huge support to me because I thought it was, I was going mad. It was my parents. So the message I'm getting from many parents this morning is that um, you know from the, the original email and. Other callers, you heard Denise there saying she took her son out of fifth year because they couldn't go into transition. He hit the gym for 12 months and then went back in. When all his pals moved on to fifth year, he went back to school and it was the making of him. The message is yeah. for parents not to just don't give up. Don't take no. Go with your gut instinct. Go better said. Well done. Well done. Go definitely, with your gut instinct. Yeah. Well said. Thanks so much for that, Laura. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. All the best. Uh, Tanya standing by first. Rose, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Oh, you took your daughter out of school in primary, is that right? I did, yeah. I actually felt like I hadn't a choice in the end, you know. Why? Um, just, she was so upset. Um, it was going on all through primary school, really. What was going on? Um, the the girls were being very, very mean, uh, discluding her. Um, like she went in as she's a lovely girl like she's very kind hearted but she's very quiet but she she's not to the point that she wouldn't be able to make friends like she's not totally introvert by no means but she was just I class her as kind of very kind she's a, she's a real pleaser and the girls just seem to be quite mean Neil to be honest they they would just like they, she'd make a friend one day by the next day, the other girls would see that. They'd want to pull that one away from her. They constantly pulled away who she tried to become friends with, you know? <sighs> yeah. And this is an all-girls school, is it? Uh, no, it was mixed. Right. It was mixed at the time. Um, so she got on with, you know, a couple of the boys, but um, the girls just... No, I suppose uh, what, uh, what I was, the point I was going to make was are, can, can girls in primary school be more vicious than boys in primary school with regard with regards to bullying or, or uh, isolation I'm wondering well that was that was um, our experience yeah. anyway definitely okay. Okay. Um, so like no matter how it was almost like it was to the point where we'd say to her you're being too nice maybe we'd ask her what happened and it was always that she was being nice and they were being mean and she just wasn't getting anywhere and it was getting worse and worse and, and did it, it start it, in fifth class or was it all through? All through, the okay. whole way through. I, I was, um, I was up to the school every year, and in fifth class, I was up there um, three times. Okay, and did they do anything about it? Do you know? Um, the thing was that they would ask 
the girls, um, they tell me that they'd, they'd see what, what was going on. They'd try to get to the bottom of it. Um, and then they'd come back to me with, um, you know, we've spoken to the girls. And look, they have a different version of saying, oh, there was, you know, one thing in particular we have to happen. And I'd explain that. They, the school would say, oh, wait, wait, something, the girls said something else happened. You yeah, know, no, so look, that's denying it, yeah, yeah. yeah. This kind of thing. Yeah. I actually found at times, and especially by fifth class, I found that it was almost like you were bothering them and there was nothing wrong. But you describe your daughter as being shattered from that bullying. Um, how, how, like in what way? Would she be she, refusing to go to school? Physical symptoms towards the end. Like she would literally be doubled up in pain when, when her stomach, she gets out, like her stomach would go into knots. She'd be outside in the car roaring crying and afraid that anyone would see her um, she wouldn't want to get out you know I brought the teacher up to the car um, a couple of times um, so it just got so bad by fifth class like I, I couldn't get her into the school anymore really you know what did you do so I had to I, I took her out of school and I homeschooled her for the end of fifth class and the the whole of sixth class that was a big routine change in your home then Oh yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah, yeah. At homeschooling, I I find it's I think it's it's quite difficult. It's difficult for to keep them concentrated on the you know on the work because they're not used to their home environment being, you know, so, you know, like like school, I suppose. I know. You know. Yeah, but it wasn't it lucky that you were in a position to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I don't know what she would have done if I was like working full time or whatever. Um, trying to put her into another class in the school or anything just wasn't going to work it was like for that time that was all I could really do for her because she was after going through so much I had it at the doctor so many times um, trying to get even to the doctor for to to speak to her because to, my thing first was that you know trying to explain she had to go to school like well there was nothing else she could do you know she had to go to school no and then you decided you'd homeschool so that was the rest of fifth class and sixth was it? Yeah, I just felt for her mental health, really. Now, the thing is, she's after starting in um, in first year, and I know now she's only done uh, three short days last week, and she done a full day yesterday. But, my God, the difference in her, like the confidence she has, and she's after making one or two, you know the way now they go in and... Oh, no, they just thank God for that. After clicking already with a few girls, she's just a different girl from the break that she had away from all that. Like I feel like if she w- if she would have went into another class or even another school, I just feel like she still would have been in that mindset because they they had her in kind of from day one. She was like put into this category of almost like oh you're not part of the clique. Would you imagine when those bullies grow up to be adults um, because they are they are very much aware that your daughter left school. And they probably are aware that she left school because of them. Imagine how guilty or how, how they will feel, feel as adults that they inflicted that kind of pain uh, well, on, a, on a fellow child. Someday, but at the moment, what, what happens is, you know, she couldn't stay to Super Value and there's a couple of them in there um, and she's getting dirty looks from them. I know, I know. Well, how does she feel about that now? She holds her head high, and she she's after just she's after blossoming so much from the break that she had, and she just gained a lot of confidence, I suppose, with with what with stuff we'd say to yeah, her. And that. Yeah, yeah. Well, do, 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 do schools become overwhelmed by problems like this as to how can they deal with it? They sit down, they talk to the bullies, or 
I mean, you know, like how how it, like sometimes the, it's just too big an issue for them to solve. Stopping short of expelling bullies, you know, maybe that's what should be happening. I just felt like it was like they did absolutely nothing. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they just wanted to to brush it under the rug, and um, the principal said one day. Um, I, she said that is she okay to to read because she is quite shy or whatever and I said oh yeah I said she'll be okay with that just to stand up and read in the class and she said you won't be coming back here now next week um, having uh, telling me that you have a problem with that that we got her to, to read will you? Ah yeah that's not well, yeah I get that yeah. vibe off you yeah 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 I know he's, I know where he's at yeah you're just a troublesome nuisance of a mother Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. clearly it wasn't was the case because you can see the huge difference in your daughter now by you as a parent interjecting and changing the narrative, changing the way you did things and you did the homeschooling. Delighted. And I'm delighted also she holds her head up when she sees these cretins in public. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a message of hope, really, just to tell parents that even if their kids are going through this hard time and how you feel at the time is that how am I ever going to get my child into school at all? Any school, you know, our primary. I'm just so I'm just so relieved for you that you, it didn't repeat itself in first year. Completely different but situation. I, in the early days, I think it really is. But um, I just the fact that I can see such more such a confidence in her, and she kind of you know I'm after, we're after going through so much stuff you know with her as far as the way people you know how to how to cope with people yeah, that are yeah, very nice yeah, when you are so kind yourself. You yeah. know, she puts that aura out there and just. To stay away from the ones that aren't willing to. I think a lot of it stems from jealousy and envy. I really do, you know. That's true, actually, because she is actually a good-looking girl. Yeah, good-looking, kind, gentle, loving yes. girl, and they see that as a threat because they not they don't have those kind of skills. All right, lovely stuff, Rose. Thanks so much. Delighted for Hi. you. Cheers, Tanya. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay. Um, just share your story, uh, because again, similarities to ones we've had on air already. This was last year, was it? Yeah, my daughter started first year last year. Um, like She was fine in, in primary, no bothers, uh, went into secondary and just a completely different child. I think, number one, it was just probably the overwhelming of this bigger building, more teachers, more subjects, more pupils. Of course, because it is a big game changer. You have different teachers, a lot of the time different room rules, different timetables uh, and a more structured set of subjects. Uh, yeah, so it subjects. is a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like that, she went in the first day and it was just kind of getting timetables and stuff like that. And then there was the second day and the third day and then all of us just straight away, it was like, I don't like it, I'm not going back there. Um, and she just completely went into herself like crying every morning um, just just point blank basically refusing to go in like it wasn't to do with bullying or anything like that there was no one at her now there was two kind of first year classes so it, like some of her friends that she was in primary were in one class and then kind of the girl that she was probably closest to in primary yeah. was in the other class alright so she was kind of taken away from her whereas they went all through primary together so I think that was the main part of it and it was just upsetting for her and she was in the class and she wasn't kind of making new friends and then we found out she was having lunch like if her friend happened to be out on a day from the other class she was having lunch on her own she was going out finding a corner just sitting on her oh, own having sad. lunch on her own and Did anybody approach so, her no? 
No, she was just kind of sitting, like, we only found this out as we were kind of talking to her about things. So then I kind of got upset and I was crying myself and I was like, no one wants their child going into school finding a corner to sit in um, on their own for lunch or anything like that. So I approached the school and I went to the school and they brought in the home liaison officer and they brought in the guidance counsellor and stuff and they sat down and spoke to her and... They tried, like they did, they really did try to help her as much as they could, but like we were still facing this every morning. I'm not going in, just sitting on the bed, I'm not going in, that's it. Um, so I just made the decision some days because it was so distressing and so upsetting just to leave her there. Now, I was leave her at home the odd day, is it? Leave her at home, yeah. Okay. So I would ring the school then and say, look, she's refusing to go in, she's, she's bawling her eyes out, I am not forcing her into the car when she's in that state. Was she just overwhelmed by secondary school, was it? I think so, and I think then it was the fact that her best friend was in the other class. So I think she kind of missed her, and I think, like, you know, you know when you kind of go through primary with someone and then you're separated when they're probably so used to being with each other every day of the week. So that was kind of the main part for her. Now, we did have meetings after meetings with the school, and I must say down to the principal, the vice principal, the year head, her, te- her year head teacher, they all sat in meetings with me and her and just said, right, what can we do to get you to come into school? What way can we help? What way can we make you feel better? We don't want you sitting on your own for lunch. We don't want you isolated and everything else. So we sat down and then in the end, they agreed to maybe move, move the two of them in together this year for second year. Right. Right. Of course, well, um, like she, she she had a kind of a difficult year like everyone in school did earlier this year and all of last year. So that wasn't great, was it? With lockdowns. Yeah, like last year. No. And then see, the, the year head teacher did say to me, it was very hard on the first years last year because they were coming into school and, you know, they're trying to make new friends and they're trying to mix with different yeah. people that yeah. they're, they're only meeting. Yeah. And all of a sudden they were back out again. Into like strangers lockdown. all over again. Yeah. 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 So she and did go back, yeah. Um, but when? I won't lie to Neil. She only went in, I'd say, in the last few weeks of last year. She was going in a few days here and there, and then she wasn't going in. And then, of course, in amongst the lockdown, she was out again. Yeah. But I'd say only in the last couple of weeks of last year is when she actually went in. And there was, like, like that now, in the class, there's, like, groups of girls. And she'd say, well there's like four different groups and then they all kind of stick together. Do you know? So that, That's normal like, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in the end anyway... We all had that. Like, we all had our little groups. They, it wasn't our that we... Anyone, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's fine. But is, is she back now in primary? Is she in second class now? Or second... Where is she? Like she's actually going back now tomorrow. She's actually starting back second year tomorrow. Second year, yeah. yeah. And how is she yeah, feeling about that? Her buddy will be in that class, yeah? Yeah, so she is feeling a little bit better now about this year, so hopefully this year will be a lot better. Um, but I just have to, like, just yesterday when I was reading that post, um, and I was just more on about kind of the school, like, I have to say the school that my daughter's going to, they really did step up, and they really did try to do everything that they could to help her. No, it's, and, and that's think, important to acknowledge, because in Denise's case, where she took her son out of fifth year, they didn't. They didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think they should, like, because at the end of the day, look, they are kids at the end of the day, and, I mean, they should be able to help them in some way to be able to get them into school to get their education, as well as the parents helping as well, like, to get me. 
I know. I think they say that they possibly haven't got the time, nor the staff, nor the resources to be dealing with it or to be trying to tackle, in other cases, like bullying, you know? Like, how, how, do, you, like, how, how do you fix that? Do you sit down with the kid or the kids? Do you bring in the parents? Do you suspend them? Do you f- expel them after suspending them? You know, these are the different questions they have to, that they're struggling with. Yeah, well, I know, like, when I was in primary school there years ago, obviously, but, like, I was bullied in primary school and I was pushed on the yard and my hand broke, like, because I was pushed onto the yard and stuff like that. But, like, that, my principal at the time was just straight into the office with all parents and the child was actually expelled from the school. For that one incident? Yeah, one incident and that was it. It was just a no tolerance for bullying whatsoever. There you go, you see. There you go. If that was was mad, I wonder how the parents felt about that. Did they feel wronged? Yeah, well, I'd say they did at the time. No, I was a child, so I can't kind of remember much about it. I just remember, like, this girl was at me for uh, ages, and it was just ongoing. And then just one day she pushed me out in the yard, and I hit my hands off the curb around the, the corner of the yard and ended up being taken to the hospital with three fractures in my wrist, like, to get me. Ah, yeah, but it wasn't the first time then. It was ongoing, resulting in that incident, yeah. Yeah, I kind of led up to that, like, yeah. you know, but um, I know, like, even my daughter's school that she's in now, like, there is a, a zero tolerance for, they really do have a zero tolerance. What is the zero the tolerance? Is it expulsion? Well, it can be, like, you know, they can be either, like, suspended or expelled or they're kind of given a warning, like, you know, we're not going to tolerate this as a school. So warning, suspension, expulsion. Yeah. I don't, th- I think everybody would be very happy with that system in place. I can't see anybody I arguing with that. I think so as well, yeah. Yeah, okay. Like that's, the one, that's the one thing that I think should be a major thing in schools. Is Warning, is suspension, expulsion. Thanks, Tanya. Yeah. Cheers for that and no good matter. luck to going Thank back. You. Appreciate it. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on one 106 Just ahead of the ad break, I read a very interesting article in The Telegraph on Saturday. Um, and, and it kind of covers a couple of different aspects of, of, of uh, what we've been talking about this morning. This may not make sense to you, but it will in a moment. I, I don't know if you have a ringtone uh, on your phone. Um, do you remember way back in the day, in 2004, the Crazy Frog ringtone was very, very popular. And it made the producer, the Swedish producer who made it, uh, Jamba, made £40 million pounds from the Crazy Frog ringtone. Everybody was downloading it, apparently, and everybody was buying it. Probably cost peanuts. But of course, when you have millions and millions of people downloading it, 40 million. But ringtones now are just no longer cool, apparently. They're the preserve of the old and the middle-aged. And a ringing mobile phone in public will soon become a social faux pas. It would be like flatulence, right? It would be like cursing. They say we're a bad nation, the Irish, for cursing. They say when you compare us to the Americans who never curse. Very rarely will you hear an American cursing. They just don't do it, by and large. Um, but anyway, so they're saying that a mobile phone ringing in public would be like that. People who look at that are horrified, you know, thinking that it's something really rude and unacceptable. And one of the reasons why is because younger age groups now um, keep their phone on silent. You may have noticed that with your own kids or teens or even 20-somethings, no sound, silent. Their phones don't ring. Uh, Apparently, and one of the reasons for that is they don't get so many phone calls. They message all of the time. Particularly 16 to 24-year-olds prefer instant messaging than phone calls. 
Um, actually, 16 to 24-year-olds should be actually referred to as generation mute. Um, so they don't have telephone conversations. They don't have a ringing phone. It's silent. They communicate by text message more and more. Teenagers today prefer to communicate discreetly by instant messaging, preventing others eavesdropping on their conversations. Um, and this is the way the world is going, where very soon, I imagine, they will, if not already, start losing the skills of communication. And of course, the language is changing, W-H-A-T, W-O-T. Uh, and, and that's not such a bad thing. Language is evolving all of the time. But if you have a ringtone, you are so, so yesterday on that one. I mean, no, actually, to be quite honest, you're probably just acting your age because kids don't make phone calls. Kids don't have ringtones. Kids are communicating verbally less and less. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Amanda, good morning. Hiya, thanks for having me. Not at all, my pleasure. You uh, have set up um, a campaign, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the title, it's called Titled uh, Justice for Sophie, Justice for Ian Bailey, am I right? Yes, that's correct, that's what it's called, yes. And you have um, north of 25,000 signatures and supporters, and you hope to keep growing that, yeah? Yes, at the moment we have um, between twenty five and 26,000 and um, the aim is to get 50,000. Okay, and what's, what will you do with the 50,000 supporters? I mean, are you looking for a new investigation or clearly justice for Bailey? What do we mean by that? Yes, well, uh, the intention is to hand it in to the Garda Commissioner when um, it's completed with the 50,000 uh, supporters um, to ask for a reinvestigation from the word go. Um, so it's technically not a cold case. The guards have um, clarified that. It is still an active and ongoing case. So um, rather than just looking at, we'll say, new evidence, because obviously there has been some new evidence that has been presented recently, but rather than just looking at it from that perspective, there was such a shambles matter of the original investigation and obviously forensics and everything have came on a long yeah. way so an independent reinvestigation of everything okay. from work okay and you know the the 26 or 27,000 people who have pledged their support are, are they from all over the world i wonder well, initially, the majority of them were from Ireland. Um, but then I did an interview on an American um, TV network um, because the Jim Sheridan documentary is coming out in America very shortly. In fact, um, I think it actually might be out today or if not today, definitely this week. Mm. Um, so after the American um, interview came out, um, there was quite a lot of interest. I got a lot of messages um, from people and a lot of support because they were actually quite shocked, uh, particularly with the French trial with it being in uh, absence. Yeah. Um, they had never heard of that before, so they were quite interested and quite taken aback. Um, and did they feel as if Ian Bailey himself is a victim? Clearly the family of Sophie Dustan, Toscan de Plantier and Sophie herself are, are victims. Is that is that your understanding? Well, indeed, I, I think everybody involved in this, Sophie's family, um, obviously Sophie, um, Ian Bailey, um, I think everybody involved in this whole case is a victim, really. And I just think it's very, very sad for everybody all around. It's, it's ruined so many lives. And it would be nice, you know, to, to, to just have it done with and, you know, and let people move on with their lives, I suppose, as, as best they can. And where did your interest stem in with regards to the 25-year-old case? Is it from the documentaries or does it precede that? 
Well, how it started with me is I'm a publicist and during lockdown, as you can imagine, there wasn't an awful lot of work in the entertainment business. I so know, I started a YouTube channel. <laughs> I started a YouTube channel um, doing crimes that shocked Ireland. And this was one of the crimes that I'd done. Um, another one that I was quite interested in was the Vanishing Triangle. I did a lot of work on that one. But this one really just grabbed my attention because it, it was very, very different from all the others. Um and I suppose, you know, um, I very much felt the more I researched into it that Ian was innocent and, you know, very much a victim of, shall we say, um, maybe hate crime or, you know, by today's standards, a lot of the stuff that was said about him, about being eccentric and different and, and things that pointed to his guilt way back then are things that would not be accepted in today's standards. So... You know, I myself would consider myself, you know, um, non-neurotypical and a little bit eccentric. And I, I've lived in smaller villages and I know how it works. So I suppose I felt some empathy there, you know, for what, for, for, for what happened to him. So that's really how my interest uh, began in it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I reached out to him. Yeah, I'll come to that in a second. Just one point you made there with regards to what people were saying. Much of all of this has to do with what Ian Bailey himself was saying. You, you do realise that. He, he has been very, very vocal over the years and, and indeed some of these inverted commas confessions were of his own making. I'm just making that point, you know? Yes, and I take that on board, um, particularly the one that grabbed me. Obviously, I did look at the documentaries was when he said he did it for a story. I mean, to me, um, being non-neurotypical myself, that was clearly um, black humor yeah, and a joke. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, um, like I said, in bad taste, but that is like something I would say myself. And I can understand why perhaps if that was presented in the French court, why they wouldn't get that humor, particularly in the context that was made in. But to me, he, he was just saying how ludicrous it was. Yeah. In, in his own kind of um, unique way. Um, I certainly wouldn't have considered that as a confession. I know what you're saying. And of course, he has said on numerous occasions that it was black humour and the DPP in Ireland never felt there was enough to try the man. You got in touch with Ian Bailey, you say. Let's talk about that a little bit. And also as to whether you got in touch with the Toscan de Plantier family. Okay, yes. So I reached out to Ian around the beginning of July and I had told him that I'd made a YouTube video and that I believed him to be innocent. And the YouTube video had about, about maybe eight or 9,000 views at that point. Now, I have run campaigns before um, because I'm an activist for, for different things. And I had gotten 100,000 signatures for a petition before in 2007. So I suggested the idea to him of running a campaign to help him clear his name. Um, so I asked him what would he like to see happen? and what did he want and he said well you know I want to clear my name I'd like a reinvestigation or the cold case reopened at that time because obviously we hadn't clarification that it was still open and ongoing and um, so I said okay well you know let's do it I'll set it up and uh, uh, and let's see how it goes now it's very different from the campaign I ran before because as you can imagine back in 2007 there wasn't much in the way of social media so that was very much an in-person kind of uh, campaign and going what, around to different places What was that the one that garnered 100,000 supporters was that a, something regarding a crime as well? No, that was regarding Linda Martin um, when she got fired off Eurostar for ageism and um, it was called Linda's the Star. Okay, um, okay. So it was to um, to get her reinstated as a judge on the TV show. Okay, did that happen incidentally? I can't remember. 
It didn't actually, but the show kind of collapsed. Um, it, it, it garnered a lot okay. of publicity at the time, okay. and um, yeah, the, the, the show. Uh, listen, you're you're you're, you're passionate of what you for what you fight for, and that can only be to your credit. What about? Uh, I mean, have you met Ian Bailey? I haven't met Ian Bailey in person. I have spoken to him on the phone or okay. via video call, yeah. but I haven't met him in person yet. I guess you would like to sit down, have a cup of tea or coffee with him. Yeah, I would. I mean, I got to know Linda very well and we're still friends. And um, yeah, I mean, when you're running a campaign for someone um, on the level that I ran it, <laughs> mm. because I go all in with something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Of course, it would be nice. I've never been to West Cork, so um, you never know. <laughs> what about what about Sophie's extended family, her son, Pierre-Louis? Have you been in touch with them? Uh, what was their response? Well, yes, I decided I would write to Pierre-Louis because um, ultimately we're all on the same side. Although, uh, obviously, I'm coming at it from a different angle to, to perhaps what he would be coming from, you know. But, I mean, ultimately, we want to find out who killed Sophie. We want whoever did kill no, Sophie. No, I, I, I don't think Pierre-Louis does. Sorry for cutting across you, but, you know, having studied the case myself, Pierre-Louis Louis, Louis believes that Ian Bailey killed his mother. Yes, he does. Um, but while, you know, I don't believe that and the campaign is the opposite to that, you know, so I'm trying to kind of say to him, look, the trial in France, a lot of the evidence had been withdrawn at that point. So your beliefs that Ian is guilty is, is based on false in- information. So what what harm can a reinvestigation do? I mean, if, if Pierre is right, then he's nothing he's nothing to lose because it's only going to strengthen his belief but if he's wrong then you know an innocent man has been blamed all these years and, and put up with you know so much and, so much hate and had his so, life torn apart and, and destroyed had, yeah. yeah and did did, did, did did you get a response because i'm sure i read somewhere that they were trying to take your facebook facebook page down is that right I did not get a response uh, directly, no. Um, that uh, I received that information from somebody else who is in contact with the family, that they were not happy about Sophie's name being on the Facebook page and they had contacted Facebook about it. Um, Facebook is still reviewing the situation, to my knowledge, um, and has not made a decision yet, or certainly not gotcha. made a decision yeah. to take the yeah. page down. They don't like the um, title Justice for Sophie, Justice for Ian Bailey. They want, don't want her name in that, yeah. Yes, they wanted to be just justice for Ian Bailey. And can you can you the angle I'm coming from? Yeah, Yeah. and can you sympathise with their view? I wonder. really to be perfectly honest with you because I was going to just call it justice for Ian Bailey but it was Ian himself who said no Sophie's name should be in it and put her first that was actually what he said he wanted her name before his in it so um you know, so I feel I feel that they're tied together. I mean, you can't really have justice for Sophie without having justice for Ian, in my opinion. Um, but I mean, I just I just wish that Pierre would sit down with me and have a chat and realize, you know, that I'm not like I'm not trying to be disrespectful to him or yeah. to his beliefs. Yeah. I just want him to maybe be a little bit open minded and, and, and just sit down and have a chat like two mature adults. I'm writing to you because I believe your anger is misdirected to Ian Bailey. The trial in Paris was not accurate, nor was it unbiased, unreliable sources, circumstantial evidence. Um, th- these, are, these are some of the points that you made to the family when you wrote. You said, I know that he's not yes, perfect. I mean- yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he's not a monster. I mean, Pierre is ne- Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Pierre has never even met Ian. Um, so, 
you know, I, I just kind of, you know, I think it's very easy to depersonalize somebody when you've never met them, never spoken to them. You see perhaps all this stuff that's laid out in Paris, again, a lot of it inaccurate. Um, and it's easy not to see that person as a human being. So I just kind of want him to, to maybe just open his mind and just think or maybe just take a little bit of the benefit of the doubt yeah. on board and just say, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if? You know, I'm not asking if, him yeah. to completely change his mind, you know, because that's not going to happen. I just want him to, to be open to the possibility that maybe a reinvestigation would unturn something different. Okay, good for you. And Pierre-Louis will be in Dublin for the Late Late Show at the weekend. Now, Ian Bailey won't be there. Um, I was talking to a solicitor during the week, I think. I'm not sure whether Ian actually wanted to be there or not. Um Jury's out on that. I think he said one place he did and another that he didn't. Yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously, I wrote to the Late Late Show myself. I sent an email in on behalf of the campaign to say, look, I think it's going to be very biased unless you have somebody who has an opposing um, viewpoint to Pierre. Um but I didn't hear anything back how from are them they either. Go- I mean, how are they going to balance that conversation if they only have one side? Exactly. And I mean, as a journalist, you know, myself, um, background, I mean, you're supposed to, 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 you know, you're supposed to have things balanced and at least give somebody the opportunity to defend themselves and, and to pre- present the other side. But without somebody to present that other side, I think it is going to be very biased. And I mean, 25,000 people is a lot of people that are license payers, many of them license payers. Surely mm-hmm. they're entitled to to a voice too, even if it was just somebody in the audience. Yeah, well... I don't think they have an audience, but... I think they have uh, a... I'm sure they could arrange uh, it. I think it's a couple of dozen, I think. It's the baby steps back to the bigger audiences, you know, and good luck to them with that. But I don't know the the guest lineup just yet. Has it it been announced? We don't know. I I do believe they have confirmed that Pierre-Louis is is going to be on the show, but um, I don't know who else is going to be on. But to my knowledge, um, there's nobody from from our from the campaign side anyway that's been invited on. Okay, okay. Well, let's watch it with interest at the weekend then, and see Indeed. what they have to say regarding the matter. Um, listen, let's let's stay in touch. You ju- you just mentioned the vanishing triangle there at the start of the conversation. You pricked my uh, my interest. What was that? Uh, the vanishing triangle um, involved, um, uh, technically it's supposed to be six women that vanished um, in, a, in a triangle in around the Wicklow area um, back in the 90s. But I did my research and I would say it's more like 16 women that disappeared in a very small area over a, a small number of years. Um, so I looked into the whole thing and tried to piece it all together and um Alisa Rose is my YouTube channel, so if anybody wants to go on and have a look at my theories well, on it, I'll tell you um, something. You're one <laughs> more than welcome. You're one busy. <laughs> you're one busy woman. I'll let I'll let you get on with it, Amanda. Thanks so much for taking the call. No problem. Thank you very much for having me again. Thank you. All the best. Bye bye. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. And the Late Late Show have said that Sophie Tuscan de Plantier's son, Pierre-Louis, will talk about the impact uh, his mother's brutal murder had on his life and why he still visits the home where his mother was murdered. So that will be part of the Late Late Show on Friday night. There are other guests. The script will be on uh, Boy George, Donny O'Sullivan, Eileen O'Reardon, who's...
Dolores Reardon's ma'am. That's the lineup. But Pierre Louis, nobody else. There won't be uh, an Ian Bailey there, nor will there be anybody for the justice for. Uh, Sophie and uh, Ian, that new Facebook uh, campaign. Um, it's very interesting because I think that they probably will put limits on the scope of the conversation in on Friday night on the Late Late Show as to what uh, Pierre-Louis will be allowed to talk about and say. I think they'll be very, very touchy-feely about conversations that might involve suspects or might involve Ian Bailey or might... Uh, you know, not allow Pierre Louis to develop his thoughts on that because of litigation and defamation and what have you. So that'll be interesting one. It, I think it might just be about his mother and perhaps you know issues regarding his mother and his love for her. And I don't know. I mean, I can't say. I'm, I'm just thinking that I think they'll be on a very tight, a very tight rein on that one. Uh, anyway, text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Morning. I have a Brazilian in the car with me, and that's here learning English. She was listening this morning and is wondering why Neil said. Ireland's population has hit 5 million peoples. The Brazilian learning English can't understand why I said 5 million peoples. Because that's, that's just the way I talk sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm quite fluid, actually, and ambidextrous about my English, I have to say. Although Emer texts her back and say, because Neil isn't fluent in English yet himself. <laughs> I play on that. Peeps, I suppose. Peeps acceptable? I suppose peeps. Peoples? Um, some suggested songs for you to finish. Redemption song from Bob Marley is our second freedom song. We started with one, and we're going to finish with one. Somebody is saying Labby Sifri, something inside so strong, says Mary on Mill Street. But I think, so far, the one that's standing out um, way above all the rest is Whatever by Oasis. Great song, and it certainly fits the bill. To those of you who have texted Whatever by an Oasis, um, I'm in your camp and so far as I'm concerned as far as I'm concerned that's the one I'm going to play out with just a huge Oasis fan anyway with regards to lockdown and uh, referencing the changes the next three key dates and a bit of Michal Martin's speech earlier this morning Michal Martin warned that they will act fast if hospitals become overrun there's definitely another lockdown in about four weeks time then uh, thank you dear leader Mick Martin here are a few freedoms back but not all freedoms mind you and the freedoms I grant ye, I can take them away at any time of my choosing. Uh, and keep wearing the face nappy, please. That's my interpretation about what he said, said Matt in Mallow. And Mion Martin makes no sense in any of his speeches. He should get rid of his advisors, who are who we are paying way over the odds for in the first place. He's a disgrace to the Irish people and will be remembered as the man who destroyed Ireland's economy. Um, <laughs> listen. We live in a democracy where you can say what you want to say. But I think he does make a point that we were absolutely freaking about the rollout of the vaccine and looking at other countries enviously, remember? Um, and then ended up passing them and rolling out. And, and I know that not everybody's on board the vaccine train, but you got to admit, I mean, they did the biz when it came to the vaccine. 90 odd, I think it's over 90% of all adults have now been double vaxxed. And 16 pluses will soon be the very same way. That's why they can start to relax the regulations and uh, relax and take away the guidelines and disband Neffet. Anyway, do keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. I'm really not sure what the government are on about. On the one hand, uh, they're saying uh, get back to work, uh, that the schools get back to school and live again. Yesterday, on the other hand, they were saying, don't go to work if you feel unwell or have a cough. Don't send your kids to school or the creche if they have a runny nose. Do they really think society can get back to normal that way? 
This will have a huge impact on employers and society in general. People will have a field day now calling on sick, on the, calling in sick on the basis that um, they're being told if you have a cough, don't go to work. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Emerald Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. So if we wanted sunshine all the time, we'd be living down the med, wouldn't we? Could we push ourselves down closer to the med? We were there before, a long, long time ago. Ireland was off Africa. Not anymore, unfortunately. Um, my son started first year in secondary school this year, and there were no kids he knew in the class. They were all separated, but fortunately... He had loads of friends at school from the same village we live in. Uh, and so I guess he managed to mix with them at different times. I believe people doing that think they're doing something good, but unfortunately not, because losing connection is the worst thing that can happen to a person, especially a teenager starting secondary school, losing connection with friends. If we go back years, separation from people was used as a type of punishment. Still is. And this is exactly how a child feels inside. I uh, hope you get to talk to your daughter about where she wants to go, what class, what school, do anything it takes to make it happen for her. And that's the impression I got from a lot of parents this morning talking to them earlier. That's exactly what they did. They just didn't give up. We had something similar last year, but our school was great. They moved our, our daughter into a class where she had friends. Um, they really listened. Teenage years are really tough. Maybe she should try the board of management. So thank you for all of those. And certainly um, I won't be here tomorrow or the rest of the week or indeed next week with Mick Mulcahy will be here from tomorrow. And I'm quite sure that if there's more, he will he will dive into it. Um, uh, there are other issues involving children and schooling and things like that, which I'll come back to at the course of the next hour. I just want to I just want to tell you a story, actually, because we were contacted by quite a number of families from the Shannon estate in Rathcormack. Now, all told, there are 36 homes, 36 families down there. Um, and uh, Seamus Whelan went down to visit the families earlier in the week because they're at their wits end and have been for quite some time. Now, you'll hear from the Vox that they have been trying to engage with Cork County Council, trying to engage with the developer, the builder, trying to engage with, say, for instance, uh, their local councillors and their local TDs, and they're getting nowhere. And it's my understanding that a lot of the families have been in, in the housing estate in Shannon and living there since 2012. And as a last resort, they got in touch with us. Uh, and uh, Seamus has been doing some work with regards to this, trying to communicate and get some kind of response from the developer and builder. And in spite of numerous attempts, no luck, nothing's coming back. Messages are not being responded to. Emails aren't being responded to. WhatsApp messages. So we're having absolutely no luck there. He's also been in touch with Cork County Council. I'll tell you more about this. But the, the families down there say... When will somebody sit up and take note of the conditions that we have to live in? Um, will they just do nothing until there is a very bad accident involving a child? They really fear for the safety of their children. Um, and, uh, you know, the roads are being, you know, the roads in and out of the estate and those areas. I've seen the pictures and the videos. They're really not roads at all. Um, in fact, they're construction paths, if you like. Um, and for a decade now, they've been using gravel roads to access the house. There's no signage, no stop, no slow signs, no warning signs, nothing. But yet they're rearing families in there. Delivery drivers are shooting in and out and bin lorries are in and out. They're all going in too fast. And they're just really living on their nerves down there. So, so much so that even in the best of weather, the children don't get out 
not further than their own back garden. And that bothers me because green areas and estates should be play areas for kids, um, you know, to mix with other kids at important times of their life. So obviously the parents and the families are, are very upset that nobody seems to be doing anything about it. So as I said, uh, this is down in the Rathcormack area, an estate called Shanoan Estate. Uh, and um, Seamus travelled down there to meet some of the families and the parents earlier in the week. So you'll even see on this road um, that's been here for quite a while and has been damaged, um, there's no signage to say there's any children. There's no stop, there's no slow down, children at play, no speed ramps, nothing. So when um, delivery drivers come through, some households come through driving, they drive too fast. They have no speed ramps to slow them down. The delivery drivers come through, the bin men come through, and they come through too fast on an uneven surface, putting the children, again, at further risk. And that would be considered a blind corner as well, Absolutely, absolutely. We had a nut, that is a blind corner. And where does that lead to, that road? Um, there's, there's four detached houses around here. Yeah. With kids? With kids, all with kids. I mean, this is a young estate. Like, there's every, nearly all the houses here have children. Um, further over to where I'm living myself we had a blind corner there for two years to three years until we asked him repeatedly to move the amount of building equipment that he had, rubbish that he had he had containers there that would the door would blow open in a storm you'd be listening to the door banging all night um, and eventually uh, he moved them and it was, a, it was a very dangerous point for the children because the cars couldn't see what was coming around the corner And what are your local councillors saying? We've, got great, we've had great support from William O'Leary. Um, we have contacted other councillors. Other councillors have come to the estate at voting time and seen the, the, what the estate is like and they're all support at the door but no follow through. And how does that feel? Well, we're livid. We're livid. They're putting, everyone seems to be just turning a blind eye to it and that's why we contacted yourselves because we just felt like, what's it going to take? Is it going to take a child getting hurt, a child getting seriously injured, and then all of a sudden everybody will be like, oh, how's this been going on? How long has it been happening? You know, uh, we're not prepared. We're not prepared to let that happen. We're fighting for the health and safety of our kids. My kids have never been out here playing. I have always kept them inside the house and at the backyard. And the main reason is because when we moved in here, saying 2019, when my elder one I felt was old enough to be be outside, she had a stone which had nearly missed her eye and I had even sent the builder a text saying this is what has happened to my child and if this happens again I'm definitely taking you making sure my solicitor contacts you and he did turn up at the time apologizing but now and then again we do send him pictures of our kids getting bruised the skin coming off their leg it's lucky that nothing has gone more dangerous. It never has been safe. We've, we presented um, pictures to the council when we were making our representations back in 2012, showing pictures of kids standing on. This This was a, a huge mound of earth here. Um, it was a dump here, actually. Kids, kids playing in the middle of the, of the uh, construction site, and they didn't care. We were looking uh, originally for the estate to be taking, taken in, in hand by the council so that uh, whatever bond he had 
would be used not even to complete the houses but to make the sites safe mm -hmm. that's all we were interested in and even today now if, if I mean they're screening our numbers but like if we if we ring them up they're, they're, they're actually not even answering our calls personally I just would love to see the road finish we've been waiting for the green area it's just happens that it's been open what 24 hours ago 48 hours ago but I moved in here five years ago where you're standing there I can show you uh, visible proof of the construction of the rough road or the raw road that I was talking about earlier so there was a big dip here and you can see there was nothing here so basically our car had to really fly over it and go and when we my husband did speak to him the builder he got just a you know a building block put in there and he's just put some gravels and this is what had happened to our new car at the time so the very front you know underneath it was all destroyed and when we of course went to trade it in we did lose a lot of money on that we were told that because we had facilities outside our home like uh, these homes over here there there's a road there's a footpath um, and therefore because we had those facilities then then uh, we we had to pay our property tax as you can see here this is why there's children are out the back because every time a car drives up there's a puma dust up behind them that they're breathing in. It's coating the cars, coating the houses. And so on a lovely summer's day, no children out here. And it's because the parents keep them out the back for their safety. Three years now is too much, you know. He has to be held accountable. There has to be somebody somewhere who holds somebody accountable for the standard of work that they do. He wants to have planning permission for 26 more houses in McCormack, you know? When he hasn't completed this yet, he's already applied for it. The word often told to us is show patience, hold your horses. We are burnt out, you know, we have been honest on our side, we have shown him respect, we have taken all consideration and aspects of all the problems he presented to us, but he's just, you know, getting away. Once he's finished here, I mean, we're supposed to have a lovely walkway down the end of this um, uh, 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 parallel to the river down here. I mean, I'll be dead of old age before this finally gets done. Um, the way the way um, the snail's pace of the, the 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 way the work is being carried out, and uh, like I said, it's 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 not fair on anybody. And um, the people within Cork County Council should get the finger out and um, force this developer to finish up on site. He should have been gone off this site as, um, as far back as 2016, completed with all works carried out. And there's just no end in sight at the moment. If there's somebody above Cork County Council, if there's somebody in Health and Safety Department, if there's somebody in Road and Safety Department, or if there's somebody even in the Construction Department who can take over this matter and help us and, you know, give us a graceful, peaceful years ahead, we hope that we don't keep fighting for it still when we are in our old age and, you know, and we hope that our kids will have at least a few years to enjoy while we are here. Okay, we've got a response then from Cork County. Council on behalf of the families in Shanoan Estate and they said uh, that Shanoan Estate Rathcormack is not in the charge of Cork mm -hmm. County Council. Uh, the council is aware that the developers engaged the services of a firm to carry out the necessary road surfacing works mm -hmm. and that the current delay is due to matters that are outside of the developer's control. Uh, now that is as vague as a response as I've ever come across. Um, 
why would you be paying property tax to a state agency if, say, for instance, the estate is not in charge of the county council? Which means that really they have no claim to any charges at all from the families in that estate until such time as it's in the charge of the county council, which is part of Ireland Inc., if you like. But to say, from my understanding of it, uh, that the developer engaged the services of another firm to finish the road resurfacing works and that it's outside of the developer's control, well, I'm exasperated because I can't get any response in any way, shape or form from the developers or or builders down there, despite numerous, numerous phone calls. Uh, And very few people actually seem to want to help, seem to want to help the 36 families that are living down there. One of them said there in the Vox report there, are there, well, they were saying, somebody has to be held accountable for the standard of work that builders do. And I'm quite interested to hear also, are there many estates out there like this, which are unfinished, where builders have moved on or they're dragging their feet, but while the estate is unfinished, families are living in them. And bear in mind that all of those families bought saved and have mortgages on each and every single one of those homes. Uh, I believe that one person that is actively working as hard as they can, as he can on their behalf is Councillor William O'Leary for that area. William, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, am, I, am, I miss, am I missing anything here? I mean, particularly where somebody in that Vox report said the builder should be gone five years ago. Well, absolutely, Neil. And look, I suppose over <clears throat> over the past uh, 10, 12 years particularly, uh, you know, we've seen many instances in Cork where uh, estates haven't been finished. You know, a lot of this had to do with the um, economic crash and the uh, follow consequences from that. You know, in some instances, the developers never came back. In some instances, they did. Um, I suppose, look, being from Rackarmock, this is an estate that is very close to my own heart because okay. I plenty of friends in there. I know, I understand. So when the crash came about, estates were unfinished, builders went bust, developers went bust. Um, That's another day's conversation, I suppose, as to how how they got finished. Did they they ever get finished? Some of them did, but some of them... uh in terms of progress, we're finished very slowly, you know. Um, Shannon is probably an example of where, you know, uh, where the, the developer came back in, you know. But the big argument I have had with Cork County Council and with the residents here, um, and not, not, not an argument with the residents, with Cork County Council, is, you know, how can someone keep getting further planning permissions when the conditions of previous permissions in in an estate haven't been completed or finished, you know. Um, you know, most estates... Like Shannon would probably be done on a phase basis, you know, phase one would be yeah. construction. I, and I understand that from a yeah. builder's point of view that they do move on and but do yeah. they have to access the you know, the next phase through the first phase, is it? Well, there's no legislation binding that, you know, where where like the argument I'm having and it it will probably take national legislation to do that, is that you know, that if a if a developer or an individual goes in for planning and they don't they, they, they shouldn't be given planning permission until the initial phase is completed. And, and is, that, is, that what has happen, is that what has happened here, that planning has been granted to go on to the next phase and build yet a lot more houses when the work on all of the ancillary aspects of the first estate have not been finished? It, it would appear to be the case here, Neil, yes. And, and uh, you know, did you I, see the response from the council um, outside of the developer's control? Sure, it's not outside the developer's control. Well, look, I, if I, I've been on, working on this case since I was elected in 2019, which is which is almost two years ago now, and the vague responses that I've been getting 
is the is, is the exact same response that you've been getting there, Neil. You know that the council, you know, where the estate hasn't been taken in charge, you know, they 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 will not go in and you know it's 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 been it's an argument you have to have. It's an argument I've been having with the council, you know, in that, that these people pay their property tax, you know, their tax efficient or law abiding, you know, and when. People pay their property tax, Neil. They expect the minimum value for money, you know, and what people expect is their lighting to be in place, their roadways to be in place. Why are they paying a property tax to Cork County Council when Cork County Council don't have any skin in the game of their property in the first place? That's that's my point, and I've made this point. I've been on public record making this point, Neil, on numerous occasions, you know, where... You know, where people in estates that haven't been taken in charge by by the, by the local authority who are paying property taxes are receiving absolutely no value for money. You know, and this is this is this is a big issue. You know, if you if you put out a, a viewpoint there in the sense that what what do people expect when they pay their property tax? You know, it's the very basics. It's your lighting, your footpath, your grass cut. You know, and in in cases where the estates haven't been taken in charge. Houses do not houses and householders certainly do not receive value for money. So they've in, been in living those. like this since at least 2016. Some of them earlier than that. Somebody mentioned uh, 2012. Would that be right? That that would be the case. You know, I'm, I've been well aware for, well aware of these issues long before I was elected to Cork County Council with regards to the issues inside in that particular estate. So why don't they you know? come together as a group and sue the developer? Well, that, that that's a decision. They would have to take uh, as a group one you know, solicitor the, representing yeah. all thirty-six families. Well, like I said, Neil, that is a decision they would have to take uh, as a group of residents if that's the path they wish to pursue. You know, but they shouldn't have to be going down this road. They shouldn't have to be. We shouldn't have to be talking about solicitors. We shouldn't have to be talking about you know how how to engage with the council here. You know, these are people who bought their houses in good faith and they expect the minimum services to be in place. What if a child is hurt or hit by one of the vans or the trucks or the lorries going through there? Absolutely, Neil. And and, and in your reporting there, that point was, was very well made, you know, and that is that is the fear. And by the grace of God, we're lucky to date. We, there has been no serious incidences in there. And look, until the work is done, you know, that, that, that threat is always hanging over the families. Which did, is, you, did you ever have a conversation with the builder? Um, very, very brief conversations where he said he was where he was pursuing the work and he was hoping to have it done in due course. Um, you know, we have received time frames for this to be done. They haven't been met. Um, so look, I, I take everyone at their word. I took him at his word at the time. Um, but look, to date, the work hasn't been done, Neil. So okay. where to go from here is a very difficult Okay. One. Well, by highlighting it and, um, you know, uh, talking with the families down there and airing their views in that audio and naming the estate, that might go some way now. I'm hoping that the developer will take immediate action to resolve the issues. And let's say if nothing is done within the next week, maybe two weeks, that we revisit again, continue to try and talk with the uh, developer. And if at that stage we're getting no response, uh, to, to name the builder and the developer. Uh, because I am hearing of other areas of Cork in the last few weeks that estates are flying up and oftentimes existing homes or the green estate, green areas and the lighting, nothing's been completed for them, even though the builders are moving on and they move on to build other estates. Like, that's well, like, like, putting like, like the cart before mean, the horse. We need national legislation to be put in place here where when developers go for planning permissions, they need 
the, all the, the, the conditions of those plannings must be fully put in place and met before. Absolutely, you don't before 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 more before more planning can be. Yeah, issued, you know, yeah. And, yeah. You, know, you don't get you don't get to eat your dessert until you eat your dinner first. Yeah. Kind of. No, I mean, it's, the, the argument that Neil is that would that slow down the construction of houses. No, no, this maybe, is all about maybe, the families. Maybe, maybe like, no, wait a minute, these are people who took out mortgages, saved, put in deposits, decided to rear families. This is about the small guy, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, Neil. And, uh, you know, like I know these families, they didn't want to go to the media. They didn't want, they didn't want to go down this route, you know, but they felt there was no other alternative left at this point. Okay, well, let, let, let's see if there is any kind of a response. I'm surprised that there hasn't been at all. We'll, we'll have to wait and see and give it a little bit of time and revisit it to see if airing this is, will make any kind of difference whatsoever, yeah? Well, please God that, that, that you know, progress can be made in the very short term okay. here because it's, it's certainly well overdue and these families who paid for their houses, pay mortgages, pay property tax and uh, at this stage just haven't got value for their money at this okay, point. Okay, and yeah. also apparently they're claiming that uh, um, the council are, when they call council offices and council phone numbers, the residents are saying their phone's numbers aren't being answered. They're implying actually that their numbers are known and that's why they're not being answered. So it'll be interesting. It's just very vague to say though that the necessary road resurfacing work was uh, was engaged to another firm and that the delay is outside the developer's control. I mean, whose camp is Cork County Council in? Well, they certainly need to be more supportive of residents in these type of circumstances and situations where there are where there are other examples, you know, where the states haven't been completed, yeah. you know, and there, there needs to be more of a support mechanism there, certainly for those. Without right, a so doubt, okay. Ta- ta- tax avoiding law citizens who pay their property tax and, you know, are being thrown to the side in many instances. Well, that's the terse response I got. There. It doesn't even make three lines of a response. I don't think they have a whole lot of... Uh, of, of, it doesn't. It doesn't display a whole lot of support for the taxpayer or the families in that response from Cork County Council. Okay, let let let's see what happens. Thank you for now, William. We perhaps we'll chat again you. in the Thank future. As Councillor William O'Leary from the Rathcormac area. So let's give that one uh, maybe a week to ten days and see if there's any movement in any way, shape, or form with regards to work down there or an effort to recommence finishing work down there or a reason or a credible reason as to. Why not? All right. And I bet you there's others listening to me right now who are in a similar situation, unfinished estates that people are, are living in. Um, and, you know, you can, you can say it has to do with somebody else's problem that was contracted to another contractor. That's of no that's of no consolation to the families. You can say that it's harder to get builders and construction workers because of COVID. Well, then why have you moved on to another phase and building somewhere else? So a lot of unanswered questions back after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Uh, this is back to uh, conversations earlier this morning on the air. I have a daughter the same age as that poor kid and the mother in the same situation. My daughter doesn't mix great. And when she gets friends... Uh, age tends to be one at the end left behind. Sorry, I don't follow that. She seems to be the one who gets left behind and left out of everything. We asked our principal to move her too, but it's like talking to a wall. She had a counsellor in the school and used to see her uh, to help her out, but she's gone now and the other teachers just don't want to know. She came home from school yesterday crying. I'm absolutely sick of it. Now the PE teacher doesn't even take them outside when they're supposed to, uh, which could be her, which could help her problem to meet others. This is simply because they don't feel like going outside for PE. Her friends went to a different school this year, so she's lonely all the time. She won't let me go down now for fear it would be taken out on her, uh, which it has been before. 
I'm in limbo. Another one here with regards to the withdrawn daughter. Uh, that was me once, long time ago, uh, and ended up with different mental health issues later in life. Because the first two years of secondary school, I cried every single day. I blocked out the memory. I can't comment as people know where I went to school and uh, and I worked there as a sub-teacher for a bit, so it's bad publicity to comment. But a lot has changed since I was there. Getting her daughter counselling might help her cope with her emotions and her darkness. She doesn't need to end up like me. Everyone knew each other from primary school. The whole change from primary to secondary shocked me. Um... Uh, I agree with the doctor's letter for her mental health and that she needs to change class. So thank you for those emails. I also want to get some more texts on the air from the last couple of days on different topics that we've been chatting with. But I don't want to lose an opportunity to talk to Jimmy. Jimmy, good morning. Morning, Neil. Let me get get this right. You live in an estate in Cove, a finished estate. You're here. You're there 23 years and some people living there 25 years. Yeah, I, I tell her no. no bit is it an unfinished estate? It's, no, it's a finished estate. It's a finished estate. And I, I was, I, I, bought, I picked the site. It was only a green field when I picked it. But there was houses built already at the front of the estate. And I was two years waiting for that house to be built. And there was people living there then. So some people must be up there 28 years. Yeah, but if it's a finished estate, where's it's, the it's problem? Finished, it's, it has never been taken over by the council now. And what um, kind of and what kind of what what kind of a stage is it in? Well, it's uh, it, it, the, the roads are all potholes. The gullies are all blocked. There's there's bushes growing out of the gullies, and they can't. We try to clear them ourselves, but we can't. Um, have you lighting uh, in the estate? Have we? Oh, just lights. Everything is done. Yeah, but the the, the roads and the, the road sweepers and you know, all the sweeper trucks. They yeah. used to turn around at the front of the estate and head back into town. They won't go in. Uh, and, and that's no, it's not taken over. The council have no responsibility in there, and and we're getting no satisfaction whatsoever. It's going on nearly thirty years now. It's it's a ridiculous situation, and, and we're what, all paying our, our property taxes. And you you know for sure that in thirty years or twenty five years, the council never took over responsibility for the estate. No, no, they still have not. No, and I I can't understand why. And we, we you you won't get an answer from them. And what do you expect that they should be doing? Well, they should take over the estate and, and repair the roads and paths and clear all gullies for us. And, uh, heavy, heavy, there's a bit of a, a bit of a slope in, in the estate coming in from the entrance down to the back of it. And the heavy rain we're getting lately, it, it, it comes in by driveway and everything. It's, it, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. So what do you do? Do you have to pay to have potholes filled or do you have to pay to fix walls and paths? Well, there's no walls. It's an it's an open plan of state, but we we pay to get the the grass beverages cut and all that. You know, and, you pay for your own uh, green area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the, 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 you know, the road isn't disappearing now. There's big potholes there, and and you can't find some some of the gullies. You know, the gullies that take the rainwater. I know what you're saying. You cleared us. You, and you, you wh- and find them. has anybody over the years asked Cork County Council as to why they haven't taken over the estate? I, I was on to Sinn Féin Council, Pat, Pat Buckley, is it, in Middleton? You know, he's a TD, yeah. And he, he, he got he got um, some sort of response saying that they they may be taking it over, that it's one of the last estates to be considered and it, there might be something happening after Christmas, but that's only a might. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's nearly 30 years. This goes back to the last, this 
goes back to the last century, man. Yeah, 1998 I moved in now, and there was people there before me. Let's see if we can get a response on that one. Listen, um, yeah. I'll come back to you on that. Thank you, Jimmy. Chris O'Leary, the former uh, Sinn Féin Lord, um, and former Lord Mayor, member of uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, you're not politically active, are you, Chris, anymore, or where are you at? Yeah, well, I, I suppose I'm, I'm what they call a local representative. Yes. Of the okay. city, but, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an activist always, but... Um, You'll never change I, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. exactly. So you have interesting but, information for residents in unfinished estates, is that right? Yeah, the, yeah. There, there's a number of things here, I suppose, that, that, that my, my, my knowledge of this is based up over 17 years of being on, on council and planning issues has always been um, one of those hot topics, really, Neil, in many respects, unfinished estates and... Um, you know, um, uncompleted stuff. There's a number of things that, that residents can do. First of all, I would be encouraging them to go to the Enforcement Department of Cork County Council and take out, um, get the enforcement um, officers to take out an enforcement order against the builder to complete the estate that he got planning permission for. But you heard the response from, say, for instance, Cork County Council. The council is aware that the developer engaged the services of a firm to carry out the road Surface, road surfacing works is not even resurfacing it's just putting a road down and that the current delay is due to matters that are outside of the developer's control and that's from Cork County Council that's, that's, not, that's not satisfactory that, 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 that in itself is not satisfactory okay because there is a timeline for, for the builder to complete the works that's, that's the thing here and when, when, when builders put in planning permission for planning permission and they've commenced the work and they have to complete it within the time scale that they indicated in the planning Okay, so that's the that's the first thing there. So, so you're, you're listening to somebody who just quick on on a keyboard banging out a response. Okay, and I'm not being disingenuous now to anybody, but that's 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 an unacceptable um, response. Like the response doesn't say anything about no. Cork County Council got on to the developer asking for an update and a timeline. Uh, they may have got on, and the developer said, "Well, you know, I engaged another firm to do the road surfacing." Uh, and, uh, and I'm having trouble with them. Well, like that's yeah, that's not good enough. Like like builders can can bring on subcontractors to do whatever, but actually, to the builder sought planning permission in the first place. So it's the named developer or builder who sought the planning permission in the first place is responsible to complete the estate, regardless of who else he employed to do whatever works. That's not an and issue. And is there many it's of these good. type of type of estates? There are, unfortunately, from time to time. There, look, look you, you, it's like everything else, Neil. You, 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 you good, good people that set out to develop and finish it on time and all of that. And then you have some people, for whatever reason, and are probably overloaded with different types of developments that they're now involved with, that they're jumping between one job and another and not completing anything. Okay, so an enforcement order can be taken out how? Yeah, uh, what what the residents should do is uh, write, or uh, it, it is difficult at this point, but seek an appointment, um, even phone or Zoom, with an enforcement order uh, officer from Cork County Council, and um, outline all of the difficulties. So they, they they should they should really. They don't know that I have reams of paperwork from yeah. them. No, no, no. no I, but but I, I hear that. But you're not going to Cork County Council as Cork County. You're actually going to the enforcement officer who has a responsibility. Uh, around uncompleted estate, I- illegal 
um, 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 we say developments and all of that stuff. It is their responsibility under the law and under under statute. But would that take actually, years then to push no, forward? No, 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 no. Actually, they're supposed to move uh, within a reasonable time, and that that normally can can happen very quickly. And what's the and story then regarding? Don't builders have to give a bond or something? Isn't there money do, held in do, trust? And and, and that's that's the other, that's the other thing here, Neil. In many respects, all developments have to, have to place um, um, a bond in, in, into into the planning department before any work is um, is is undertaken. So the bonds are for if the builder um, um, fails to complete the works, that that bond can be tapped into and complete the work can be completed then or paid for and um, for somebody else to to, to undertake okay. that work. Okay, I'll, um, I'll I'll pass that on. I know they're listening. Perhaps they'll come back to me and tell me if they heard but, of the. Of it, look, 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 Neil, Again, look, look. I, I, I'm not I'm not seeking any work. But, but like if someone wants to come back to me or whatever, I, I'd be happy to kind of navigate them through the system. I think that would be fantastic and I'd be very grateful if you would because it's all about the families and the children. Can we can we yeah. just say that to them and see if they will talk with you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. I, as I said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it for any other other reason other than um, you know my, my own experience of, of, of having to, to to try try and get. And then when and then when the council system. take over an estate, what are their responsibilities yeah. in the estate as such? Now before before here's the situation. So taking in charge of estate won't happen. And this is this is this is where this is where the first two things that I've talked about there um, have to be in place because if the state is uncompleted or the drains haven't been properly completed, the council will not take over in the state. Otherwise, they get caught. The taxpayer gets caught to do the work. That's that's why developers are pursued by the council to complete estates before they're taken in charge. And when, okay, I have a response from the Shannon and resident, one of them. We did contact the enforcement officer and that was the response that you read out outside the builder's control. That's, that's, that's not, that's not. So that's, that actual response <laughs> came from your enforcement yeah. officer. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 there, look, I, I, I'm happy, I'm happy to pursue this with them. Good man. I think they do need your help at this stage. I think you do. Yeah. And they're giving me some more information here, which I'll read in a few minutes. So when an estate is taken over, I'm just curious about this. What, 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 what do, what responsibilities do the council have in that estate then? Well, well, what, what, what responsibility the, the council would have at that stage is that all the roads, all all the drainage, um, all, all, all the, what we call the infrastructure that normally isn't seen is taken in charge. Um, and that means if there's any subsidence or if there's any, any, um, um, road problems or anything like that, it is the council's responsibility to actually maintain them at that point. Okay, because clearly it doesn't include it doesn't include grass cutting or hedges and stuff like that. Estates it, have it, to do that it, for it, themselves. It, it depends. In, in the county may be different at times from the city where where, where they would organise um, residence groups and stuff like that a lot more to cut grasses and stuff like that. There is grants available for residence groups as well, which residents should know about um, through the county council for, for doing that work or, or hiring somebody to do the work um, at times. Um, uh, the other thing is electric, uh, electric uh, lighting right. and stuff like that. Um, th- that also would be, be the responsibility of the council then when they take when they take the estate in charge. Okay, alright, listen, I'm, I will get them to chat with you, alright, because um, they certainly need your help and you've been navigating through this for a while anyway, in different situations. Thanks Chris, we'll be back to this right, soon. Thanks, okay, Steve. thanks. Cheers. Great Bye. guy, super guy, Chris O'Leary.
great Lord Mayor as well. Lines open at one 850 Back after the break, hang in there. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Yeah, yeah, public transport resumes to full capacity today. And that te- if you can just pull up that text a little bit, I'm only interested in a section of it. I don't have time for the rest of it. But somebody is saying by text, you know, with the changes that they're talking about in the future, particularly from September 6th regarding, say, cinemas and theatres. Somebody says, we've been free to go to the cinema all along. And now it looks like with the easing of restrictions, things are actually more restricted for those who are not vaccinated and in a lot of cases can't take the vaccine. Well, you are absolutely right in that regard. And uh, that's something that I picked up on when I was reading this. Cinemas and theatres, for those of you that went before and weren't vaccinated, uh, that ain't going to happen. Not for until at least October 22nd, because cinemas and theatres, 60% capacity, but only for those who are fully vaccinated or those who've had COVID and recovered. So if you haven't had a vaccine and you haven't had COVID, you ain't going to the cinema. Uh, not until at least October 22nd. Okay, a lot of texts from yesterday then with regards to different topics on the air. A lot of it is to do with Coral Capone. More on that in a minute. A lot of people talking about the conversation I had with uh, Joey Sheehan yesterday on financial and mortgage advice um, and people who were getting involved in, in trying to get a mortgage. So thank you for all of those. I won't have time to read them out. But to the girl who's uh, got a credit problem and has been blacklisted, many people were texting were saying that that credit history only goes back seven years. The best thing is to find out the debt, I think, that you owe and try and pay, uh, try and pay it. Uh, I'm 27, went to college for four years, worked up my salary to 75 grand, which I'm very lucky. But you know how much I t- pay in tax after 20, sorry, which I'm very lucky. But you know how much I pay in tax for them lazy 20-year-olds. I paid 25 grand. I have a cousin who had an opportunity after opportunity to work and quit after a day or two. Who's the fool? Well, you're not the fool. I mean, you built up yourself a great salary and hopefully it will continue to grow. You'll never have control over lazy people. Uh, On empty houses, I downsized from a large council house in Mahan, transferred to a smaller home for the elderly. My home wasn't given out for 18 months and it was in perfect nick. I did what they asked downsized, they locked it up for nearly two years. Those that uh, would send back children to school with sniffles, colds uh, and runny noses are irresponsible parents. I know she says we have bills to pay uh, but she's putting other families at risk and that's a shame. Um, but, um, with regards to creches sending children home, the creches are sending them home because if other children catch it and the staff catch it, we have no staff to cover. There's a staffing crisis in childcare. And lots picking up then on doggy treats from yesterday's program. Jamie says, you need to know that there's a relaxing dog app. Um, Spotify has a dog music app on it. Uh, and it does keep dogs calm and it puts them to sleep. Thank you, Jamie, age 13. As dogs get older and can't walk or have joint issues, buggies and nappies for dogs are totally acceptable. Although somebody else says a dog is a dog is a dog. Full stop. These snowflakes that feed dogs at the table with all these weird foods uh, that builders and athletes don't even eat, uh, bodybuilders, get people to mind their dogs because they can't be alone. It's a sure sign that snowflakes are leaving their dogs running the house. Sad state of affair when a child rules the roost, let alone a dog. Um, Adults come first, humans come first, not dogs, says Sean, in response to yesterday's programme, where we learned that there are now colognes for dogs and what have you. Anyway, last a bit of business this morning, because I won't have time right now. Uh, good morning, just wondering, will the, with the country opening up, which is great, does it mean that my partner can now come to the Labour Ward with me? 
Another one, will masks have to be worn in schools? What's the current situation with regards to children in primary school and mandatory face coverings? Well, imagine that that probably would be covered under, um, you know, public indoor buildings, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, we were talking about Cora Capone over the last few days. Here's a lovely story just to finish. Frank, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm great, but I need the shortened version of it, if you don't mind, pal. It was your right. aunt Mary Carney lived in the house Mary next Carney to the graveyard. lived in the house, right next, yeah, to the wall of the graveyard. Right, right. so yeah. would that have been the house where the, where, the shortest, where the shortest funeral came out of? Exactly, yes. Wow. Yeah. Was it her yeah, funeral passed, then? Passed out through the, no, no, no. It was the lady that was in the house previous to her. It would have been in the 20s, as far as I can remember rightly, Neil. Is it a tiny house? Yes, it is. Two bedrooms, very small. And it was a corrugated house. And did she tell you, you know? that the coffin came out the window? Out the back room, the bedroom window of the back, yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it, what was it like living, or indeed you visiting as a child, a house that was on as the graveyard? Child. Yeah. Oh my God, it was, you know, it was a, like a different world. We came from Han out, and that time in the early 60s, there was very little out that side, and it was like a different country. You know, but we had a wonderful time playing in the cemetery. Having said that, that with a healthy respect for the, the deceased, never walking or dancing on graves I or mean, anything like that. There's children in there. Look, you didn't break a leg or break an ankle. It's very uneven. Oh, it was wonderful to be playing around there, you know. And every time I go back to Cork now, I visit. And such a serene, picturesque, it's beautiful, calm, beautiful it place, you know. And just finally, what was it your aunt used to say about the living and the dead? Oh, we used to sleep in the bedrooms. And one of the bedrooms used to go on to the graveyard, you know. Yeah. And we used to be terrified, firstly. And then she'd say, never mind the dead. She says, the dead won't do you any harm. It's the living you have to fear. She said, you should fear the living, not the fear dead, the was living, it? not the dead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. A wonderful woman, I'd say. Was your Aunt yeah. Mary a wonderful woman? Aunt Mary Carney? She was a wonderful woman, wonderful woman. And there was another house on the opposite side of <laughs> Mary, uh, Dinny Sweeney. He was the actual caretaker of the cemetery. <laughs> Yeah. Great yeah. Happy memories, Frank. Thanks for Happy sharing. Memories is right. No Cheers, problem. Take care. Welcome. Take, Take care. care. Back bye after bye the break. Bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Morning, Neil, and all the team. Any update on the poll you put on Twitter regarding the Booty Man? Have a lovely day. The Booty Man lost yesterday. It was the Boogie Man won and won very well. So Booty Man is no more. It's the Boogie Man you need to fear, put the fear of God into your children with. We came, we came in this morning with George Michael's Freedom. We'll go out this morning with Oasis Whatever. I think it's the most apt song of them all. Free to be whatever. Three dates, September 6th, September 20th and October 22nd. If you can follow it all, you'll be free to be whatever. Well done, our kids. Well done, our kids. Oasis, I love when fiddles, yeah? I love when fiddles give electric guitars a run for their money. Mick Moncahy is here for the rest of the week and all of next week. Um, I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.